It's uncut, it's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck Show starts in three, two, one. Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining us today around Drag Racing's water cooler for you. You heard me say it a second ago, didn't you? The Drag Racing Talk Show, the only one. No, I'm just joking. Uh, my favorite one, right? And I hope it's all of yours favorite, uh, favorite show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here today, fresh off a huge weekend in the sport of drag racing. I, uh, uh, I'll share my funny Brainerd, Minnesota story. It's not a big zoo debacle, but I did get trapped up there for a couple of days earlier this week. Uh, again, thank you all for joining us. Remember, click like, click share, click subscribe, join the movement, be a part of our family, help us spread the gospel of drag racing. We have an absolute barn burner of a show for you guys today. Steve Torrance. Fresh off. Major win at the NHRA Lucas Oil Nationals. We knew it was only a matter of time until the champ reminded us what the champ does took out tony schumacher in a fantastic final round there in front of a capacity crowd i don't know that i've seen a crowd like that maybe maybe the gator nationals earlier this year despite the weather snafus they they, they uh, contended with while we were down there but man what a weekend for the sport of drag racing a little after steve about 245 central standard time we'll be joined by shane westerfield who is on an absolute tear in nhra top alcohol funny car competition i believe the guy's been to eight final rounds here in 2022 every race he goes to he goes to the finals he's won six of them looking forward to hearing from shane in just a little bit but before we get that far along let me crank down the tunes here let me introduce my partners in crime my co-host here on Drag Illustrated's The West Buck Show, the one, the onlys, Mike Carpenter, JT Hudson. JT's doing something else. Yeah, what are you doing? Paying not paying attention. attention. <laughs> not just, paying just, attention. Yeah, like uh, always. What's what's uh, what's the good word, my friends? How goes it? You, uh, it seems like it's. I've been out of the loop this week, right? I got stranded. Yeah, well, in. you just got back. Literally, yeah. you just got you back. You had a little extended trip in Minnesota. Man, it was. Um, I'll tell you guys about it briefly because. Uh, it was an experience, and you just think about what everybody in our everybody in the world is contending with right now, as far as air travel is concerned. You you see it all across social media, everywhere you look. It's just one dramatic ordeal after another when it comes to air travel. So I, I literally, I had a Sunday night flight booked home. I thought. I'm in tall cotton out here, buddy. I'm going to be home, be able to take my kids to school Monday morning, do the whole song and dance. I get to the airport, right? Go through security, do the, the rigmarole. Uh, it, Brett, uh, Brett Underwood and Freddie Turza from VP Racing Fuels in tow were, are un incredibly, we think we've lucked out, right? They're at gate E15. I think I'm at gate E12. I'm like, oh man, we're going to be able to hang out. I have a cocktail. This is going to be a nice, relaxing evening in the airport before we all head home, go our separate ways. I sit down, shockingly, at a, at a bar inside the airport, order a, a, a double vodka, right? Double vodka Don here. And uh, literally no more than get the glass slid my direction and I get a notification on my phone that your flight's not been delayed, right? Not, not been changed, been canceled. 
And not only will I not be getting back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area until sometime on Tuesday, I'm going to have to go through Washington, D.C. and stay the night there, right? Uh, and it was in that moment that I just literally called up a friend and bought a jet. I thought, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I am so exhausted with this. I think that is like the next order of business, at least like a yeah. King Air. I've like been wanting to get my pilot license. I told you that a long if time you ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mike, Mike, JT Mike, quiet, quiet. Mike, if you think I'm going to let you fly me anywhere, <laughs> you are out of your mind. Really? No. You, you don't like riding in a car with me. Well, I sure as hell don't like riding in a plane. With because you. I'm a good driver. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, yeah, says the multiple barrel rolls. Yeah, we'll be, um, says the person yeah, that watches Netflix series while driving. That's well, all I mean, I we'd have to, to we'd have to customize that jet. It definitely would need cup holders. I think we need, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I want. I, I would be satisfied with just like a King Air. I really would. Twin engine plane, reliable. It's you can go a long distance. It's. I mean, I I think it's a doable thing. Anyways, I uh, incredibly, and I'm not like the flip out guy. It takes a lot for me to get to that point. So I'm on my phone, and I I think I dialed one or two 800 numbers and it was like a three hour and 36 minute a representative from American Airlines will happily call you back in three hours and 36 minutes and I go yeah I ain't got three hours and 36 minutes so I walked up to a gate agent and I said hey listen I'm not going to throw a big fit and I get your hands are tied but flying through Washington DC to stay the night and then get back to DFW Tuesday night that seems unreasonable. Like that doesn't, I don't know that I'm okay with that. That, that doesn't, I would just as soon drive, right? Like right. it's only a thousand miles. I've We've driven that it. far in my We've sleep, done it, done it before, yeah. you know? And, uh, and I was this close, this close. Cause there was no chance I was going to deal with a connection. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to be any kind of way, but there was no chance I was going to run the risk of getting stranded in DC. So Anyways, by the grace of God, the young lady goes, hey, I think let me just look at some options or whatever. And she tried to re rebook me on other airlines, which I thought was awfully sweet. And I ended up catching a flight home yesterday. I got home in the uh, yesterday afternoon, direct flight from Minneapolis to uh, DFW. But I did have to spend like an additional 48 hours in uh, downtown Minneapolis. It was it was quite the deal. I didn't pack a lot of clothes because I was planning <laughs> on a two-day trip. Turn and, them inside out, buddy. Oh, dude. It was one of those. Historically, I'm a bad, bad overpacker, right? <laughs> this was like the one trip I was so proud. I told my wife, Alicia, I said, hey, check this out. I'm showing her my suitcase. And I'm like, I've got it. Like, this is a sleeping outfit. Like, if I get a wild hair to work out or something, I got that. I got some clothes to wear to the racetrack or whatnot. And I tell you what, man, Sunday night, it was not looking fantastic. So anyways, I did finally get home. What a weekend in Brainerd. I'm sure you guys followed along online. Uh, I was so glad that I went. I haven't been to Brainerd International Raceway in quite a while, to be honest. Probably with you. like Probably. what? Almost 10 or 15 years, right? 10 years, easily 10 years. I hadn't been up there and I was I've so never glad been. I went. We got to go. Um, but I'm yeah, worried if we, if we take JT that he'll never return. Like, He'll just, oh, it'll be, we better like he'll be bring a permanent his family. zoo resident. Yeah. We better bring his family so they can all kind of say their goodbyes <laughs> because that, that will be the end I'd, of, I'd of John bond, Thomas. Bond Hudson. money first. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know, I didn't participate admittedly in a lot of craziness. I would, if I had the chance maybe, but, um, the whole deal, just seeing, seeing the grandstands that full of people to watch drag racing. I think sometimes we get in our own head as drag racers and, and members of this community. And you hear people kind of beat on us all the time. They're comparing us to stick and ball sports. They're comparing us to NASCAR. They're comparing us to formula one. But when you roll up on the starting line there at the NHRA Lucas oil nationals, and you look out at the sea of humanity, I'm talking elbow to elbow three, four deep at the fence to the scoreboards my heart grew six sizes. I mean, it it was a 
incredible moment and they were into it, right? I mean, I had heard stories in the past that a lot of the people that camp at the legendary zoo uh, there at Brainerd International Raceway, many of them don't even make it to the to the grandstands to That's watch the race. Not surprising. And if that was the case, I'd be surprised because I'm telling you, everybody on the planet Earth seemed to be in Brainerd, Minnesota this past weekend. Huge just a big win, I think. That's, for the a, that's always a well-supported event. It's, I think it's an important market for an HRA, important region of the country that they kind of only visit once. And, but it's hard. It's it's a little bit difficult to get racers there. There there are a couple of other tracks that kind of meet that criteria where car counts are down. They didn't even. They only had two pro classes running. Uh, but it's I'd like still to talk about that a little later in the show. By the fans. Yeah, I think um, for me, when I, I what I saw there in Brainerd and here in about one minute, we will be joined by uh, champ, 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 champ. It's a little bit of a mouthful to say it every time I reference <laughs> Steve Torrance, but that's how I like to do it. Uh, the quadruple champ himself, uh, fresh off, like I said, that big win. I think fresh off might be the new drinking game. Said it three times in seven seconds. But uh, gotcha. seeing the sport there. It was a unique experience, and I think drag rate or the NHRA perhaps needs to lean in maybe more to these events. That it, does that make sense? Like it was a obviously there's a drag race going yeah. on. Everybody wants to see that, but there yeah. was so much going on. They've there's got nothing a concert wrong with going. a smaller event or a or a, a trim small down market event if it fits that market and fits that racetrack, which it, it does. It fits it, and, and I just I I not saw watered people, down at all. That no, way, not watered know? down at all. And you saw people having the time of their lives. I rode through the zoo Saturday afternoon. Brett Underwood and I were rolling through the zoo uh, with Freddie Turza and VP Racing Fuel, some of those guys. And we're rolling through the pit, the zoo there. And we were kind of talking amongst ourselves. And I, to be honest, I almost found myself jealous, like jealous of these people who are just willing to have a good time. Right. You know, like willing to not care if they're tromping through the mud, willing to not care about what anybody thinks or what. I mean, I, I compare it to myself and hell, most nights I got so many things on my mind. I can hardly go to sleep. Um, I can't let alone spend two, three, four or five days partying with a bunch of people in Minnesota, right? The I pressures of life get in your head. Yeah, yeah JT, yeah, you know JT really it. can relate to this. Yeah, but it was literally going, man, just to see these people let loose and have a good time. It was a really, really, really incredible weekend. And I tell you what, guys, let's not waste any time. We got the, the man of the hour in the green room right now. Ladies and gentlemen, again, I may be Steve Torrance's biggest fan. I have decided to take it upon myself. We're If I believe Steve Torrance is already a superstar, but I told these two, I told our whole team earlier this week, I said, I am willing, I'm going to do whatever it takes. This guy's going to be a household name because this is a clean cut, well-spoken, badass son of a bitch from Texas right? That climbs out of his car shooting shit, right? I mean, it's just an <laughs> incredible thing. And I, I don't think he gets, he, he doesn't your, get his shot share. He does not get the respect he deserves. <laughs> I post something about him on social media and people just can't wait to give him shit. And I am exhausted with it. This guy, we need, man, we're getting we wound up him. early today. JT. We need him wow. out here. I'm not wrong. There's no one out here that could, you don't want to argue with me about this. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, before I knock this whole desk over the one, the only <laughs> quadruple champ, Steve Torrance. <laughs> What's up, Wes? How are you, brother? <laughs> you can tell how I am. I'm good. I'm real good. Bro. Just jumping out shooting. Shit. Yeah. You do, man. And I just think about, we need so much more of this, man. So, Hey, congratulations. Uh, I do not want to bore you with, you know, how long, wow, how's it feel? I mean, obviously you were ready for that breakthrough moment there. Um, but let's talk just more about 
You know what? There's a couple of things I want to touch on. You mentioned in your press conference, or excuse me, in the uh, media center there at Lucas Oil uh, Brainerd International Raceway after the fact, and I jotted this down because I kind of found it interesting. For someone who's done all that you have in the sport of drag racing, you mentioned that pedaling the car and having to be, be the difference maker in that moment or in that particular situation Kind of a little unusual for you. You normally are going A to B every single time, and you mentioned how much it meant to you to have the opportunity to to be the difference maker. Can you kind of take us through some of that and round after round of knowing that this thing's probably not going to make a full pull? Yeah, so like first round, you go up there and you think, okay, well, I mean, the track's good. You watch Brittany go 64 hauling butt down through there, and and so you're confident. Second round, the sun's out, the clouds are gone, the track's definitely changing quickly um there's four pair i think we were third pair we watched uh we watched uh, well I, you know i'm getting in the car getting ready i see billy leave right in front of me and go out and smoke the tires Brittany smokes the tires well both of them were pedaling it down through there and you mentally think okay that's what's about to happen to me uh this is what i need to do and that happens a lot. And you have that process of this is what I need to do. But rarely do I do that. Normally, I go out there and slap the throttle over and over and over and smoke the tires and get to the end. And it's not something that you're really just that proud of. Um, it takes so much patience to properly pedal the car, let off the gas, let the thing stop spinning, come back to settled. Get on the throttle, but slowly ease onto that throttle, roll into it. And we're talking an inch that you're moving, inch and a half maybe, uh, uh, from nothing to everything. And you're trying to roll onto the throttle while the car is shaking and holes are going out and it's pointing at one direction. And you're like, is this shit real? But <laughs> yes. And so like second round against Antron, was one of my most proud accomplishments and I didn't even really think about doing it. I saw Billy smoke the tires. I'd already ran the process through my head of how I wanted to do it. And the car smokes the tires instantly. I ease off the throttle. I feel like it just settles and I roll back into it and I'm gone. And I'm like, this shit just worked. <laughs> and I really just did it. So I was super confident getting out. And I'm, I mean, admittedly i've not been the best at that i've i've smoked the tires a bunch and just rah, rah, rah. and it's the most difficult thing is when that car is beside you and you can hear them and you know that they're coming or you know you don't know what they're doing but you can't see them but you can hear them and any second they're gonna blow by you and so you're trying to get it going but that patience is the one key that will make it happen and it's one of those, it's like a wartime experience. You're only going to have that experience when things go wrong, right? Because, I mean, yeah. a, t a team prides itself, especially yours, in nothing going wrong, right? Yeah, I, mean, and I got way off in left field on no, that answer good. because, you know, Richard Hogan has that car and it goes A to B 90% of the time, except for this year. And we've been trying stuff and we've smoked the tires a little bit and, and, so you don't get that experience. And, and if it happens in qualifying, you don't get that experience either because you're not going to roll back onto the no. throttle and pedal it and qualifying and risk oiling the track down and screwing it up for everybody or even blowing your stuff up. But race day, 
that thing goes down the track more often than not. And no matter how many times you go in there and you sit with your crew chief or you sit with Lagana or whatever, and you say, okay, next time this happens, this is what I'm going to do. Well, it always happens. And you come back and go, yeah, I screwed that up. <laughs> yeah, but, we want, let's not do that again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, that's not what you were supposed to do. It's but, funny. You mentioned that I talked to a, this has been a hot minute ago, but I remember it was at the NHRA. There was a test session in, um, I believe it was maybe a couple weeks before the U.S. Nationals, whatever. It was when Frank Manzo, still to this day, was tuning for Mike Castellana, still is. But they were having some trouble getting the car to go. They were struggling. The tra NHRA had tra changed how they did some stuff with track prep. And Frank was trying to actually help Mike, who had spent his entire career racing a nitrous car, learn to pedal it. And they yeah. were putting a cone out on the track and getting him to make it there and whack it. You know what I mean? And it's like, you can't do that with a fuel car because this thing's going to kick the blower off oh, of yeah. it. Maybe you can't do that. So there's no way to practice or prepare other than having something go wrong and sinking or swimming. And, and, you know, smoking the tires at the hit is so much different than if you smoke the tires at the three thirty, because then you can get off and right back on it. Whether you catch it soon, if, if you cut it really early, you just slap the throttle. You know, it's it's a different scenario because you hit the gas, smoke the tires, clutches one to one, everything's spinning, the tires are going three hundred miles an hour, and you're going twelve. <laughs> and you're like, okay, let's get this slowed down and geared back up. And uh, it's it's difficult, uh, and and you don't you don't want to be real good at it because it means right. it happens a lot. Exactly. So, I was just thinking so, it's not something that you want to be too terribly proud of because. You don't want to be in that situation, but it was cool for me personally. I think a lot of times, and as I you heard me ranting and raving a second ago, I think you're such a great ambassador for our sport. You've been a fantastic champion for our sport, and it's like I, I, I was glad to see you be able to go out there and be the difference maker because it's easy to sit back and go, hey, he's got the best parts and pieces in the world. He's got some of the best people on the planet Earth, a team that's been together through thick and thin for a long time, a lot of continuity, right? You don't see a lot of fresh faces inside the, the, that Capco boys group. This is the same old boys you've been rolling with for a minute. And it was nice to see you be the one that made the difference. And I, and I'm glad that you got to have that experience. I mean, you've done, that was what your 52nd win of your career. Yeah. Uh, you had to build a wing on there at, uh, at the shop to house all these trophies. Um, yeah, let's see him. It, why don't you, and you said this the other day and I'm going to bounce all around cause that's kind of what I do. But since you showed us that, why don't you tell us and explain a little bit why those aren't a trophy room in your house? Like we talked to so many racers and, and this is no shot at anybody um, that build on a, a trophy room or they've got like all these trophies in a display case in their living room or whatever. Why are all those trophies uh, at the, at the Capco office in your office there? Every one of these guys here, I'm trying to get my damn screen You're back to where it goes. Every one of the guys here at Capco are an integral part of what we do. Each one of these guys from the bottom to the top work their tail off every day to keep us out here and keep us racing. And it never fails. They know, I mean, whether they watch the race or they look on social or they look on Facebook, whatever it is, they know when we win and they know when we lose and they're <laughs> proud of it. We have a big digital sign out front that, that says four time world champion and, and all that. And so they take pride. They're proud of what we do. And so, Every trophy that we've won in Top Fuel is in my office except for one. And it's Seattle 2012, and I won in the final on a pedal fest. And that was just one that, that sticks out to me, and I kept that one at home. But um, I want every one of the guys here that, that work here to be able to come in and see it. 
so they come in my office all the time. They're like, where's the new one? Where's the champ trophy? <laughs> and it means something to them because they support us. They keep us going. And there's guys that work here now that don't, don't know the Steve Torrance that was in the field, but there's still a lot of them that do that. I worked in, in the crew hands, hands on with them. So it, it's, it's something that they're proud of to say, Hey, I worked with that guy in the field on the pipeline. Now he's in there helping run the business and he's a professional world champion race car driver. And so, I mean, it's the same thing that you see anybody that you're friends with that, you know, and you've watched them come from when you were in school to wherever they're at now. And and you're, you take pride and you're proud of that person. And so all of these guys have, have rode that journey with me and I want them to be proud of that as well and see what we can accomplish together. It's so cool. And it, it makes, it's exciting because I think sometimes people get lost in thinking that like the only person that cares are the handful that are directly around you. You know what I mean? And that's not the case. I mean, are you, it's got to feel good that all these people care to that level, right? That, that everybody that's involved in Capco from the business standpoint, I mean, I, I can't imagine the, the the proud moment it is when one of them old boys roll in there and want to see the latest, greatest trophy. You know? Yeah. And, and that's something that, that motivates me. You know, that the, the hardest part of this season has been coming back to the office on Monday morning and all these guys going, man, what the hell's going on? You've just won 51 races here and four championships. Why are we struggling? And, and it's not you. It's why are we struggling? Right. What's what's happened to us? Where are we at? So, uh, yeah, it's I, I you know, it's truly remarkable our race team is a family team. Our business is a family business and we all, we all live and die by the sword here and, and have a good time doing it. It's tons of, tons of support and respect. It's an amazing thing. And I appreciate you sharing that with us because I think it's something that folks genuinely need to hear. One of the things that you mentioned, and we've kind of, it's been a little bit of theme of 2022. It would seem obviously we're in a a wild world here. It's hard to get stuff, shipping issues. We just, you probably heard me going on about air travel woes. I mean, it's a wild time friend. Um, we are hearing a lot of race teams talking about trying things when a top fuel team that's won four world championships, as we've mentioned, 57, 52 races. I'm just curious, like, what are we trying? What, what are, what kind of things are you guys trying? Is it, is it more in tune up and application of power, getting in it, you know, getting the clutch in earlier, or is it literally with hard parts, trying new parts and pieces? Uh, what we're mainly have been trying is working on the tune-up, trying to get the car to run quicker, to run faster. I mean, you we have we have opponents that are running 337 miles an hour. We're running 331, 332. So that's the difference. That ultimately is the difference of, of a 66 or a 62, just that speed. So, um, you know, you can, you can run the same ET and everything to half track and get outrun by five mile an hour and get outrun by – 600s at the end it's just we need to get quicker we need to get faster but also people are trying just the 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 general hard parts uh material aluminum the iron that's in the clutch disc all of the things that we use uh for most people that are not consumable items for a top fuel car they are clutch disc are just a dime a dozen you got to get the ones that work you run them in but the material that they're using, the iron is different. Heads, cranks, all of these things uh, 
it's a it's it's a struggle to get it in the first place. But then whether or not it's the same as what it's been being in the years past, just because the raw material that the manufacturers are using may not be exactly the same, even though they say it is and they think it is and, and whatever. It's coming from a different source. It's co it's coming from a different country, wherever. So a lot of that stuff is different. And you you're finding subtleties in in all the things that we use, whether it's the strips in the blower, the, the aluminum for the rods, the, the metal for the cranks, the disc, whatever it may be. It's all some kind of, uh, of deviation from what we've been running and you struggle to kind of adjust to it. And I think a lot of the teams are having that same problem. Do you, I read an article and I, th I appreciate the insight because you hear that thrown around, like we're kind of testing, we're trying some things out. And I think, you know, the masses go, man, what could they possibly be testing? You know, because um, this, a lot of this stuff's highly refined, highly specialized, right? And I, I've heard a lot about clutch disc availability this year. Obviously, that's a, a, a big, a big issue. One of the things I was curious about, I read an article on competitionplus.com earlier today. Maybe it was yesterday when I was trapped in Minneapolis. I can't remember. Anyways, one of Bobby's guys posted a story and it was about, uh, it was the, the tire story. I don't know if you've seen this, but it was talking about Goodyear being comfortable with the tire going 340 miles an hour and, and this, that, and the other. But there was an interesting thing that Robert Height was quoted and he said, these top fuel dragsters are on the rev limiter at the eighth mile. And it just kind of floored me. Is that accurate, Steve? It's, it's very accurate. I okay. mean, give or take a hundred foot right there. Really? Um, the rev limiter comes in at 2.75 seconds. Wow. So it, the rev limiter actually comes in before the eighth mile or before 660. Yeah. And, and so it's crazy when you run that hard. I mean, some of the cars in, in Brainerd were 298, 299 at that, half man. track. Uh, and that speed is the difference. That speed is what makes up that ET there at the end. Yeah, because you can't uh, run 338 or whatever if you're not running damn near 300 at right, the eighth, right? Right, and and think of how fast we would be going if we didn't have the rev limiter coming on. And when that thing hits, it's like throwing a miniature parachute out. You feel it. You hear it in the car. It's running so hard, and then it just lays over and planes out. Um, but I don't know what else to. I, I don't know what else they could do. I mean, it's you're I at really the mercy of yeah. those tires. And I, I don't know. There's an answer. With that being said, I have been a victim of a tire failure. It's not a fun situation. You're, you're it's like hold on, whole shit's happening quick, and we're hitting stuff hard. And you know, does it? Do you have any concerns as we encroach on that three? I mean, there is some people I think that are speculating, perhaps in Funny Car, um, maybe in Top Fuel, that we may see that this fall. You know, I mean, it, people don't realize that. 338 to 340 is a big jump. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot to the lay person, but that, that's not an easy feat. Um, but as we get kind of into, we jokingly call it record setting season, you know, get into September, October, November, we're probably going to see you guys in some really killer conditions. There's some great tracks coming up. Um, do you think that that's something that could be possible to, to happen in 2022? Two-part question. Do you think it's possible? And how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I, I'm all for it. I'm the quicker, the faster. I, like that's why I race. Yeah, we race hero. as a family, but we race to win and go fast. If I didn't race top fuel, my dad and I would race something against each <laughs> other. If we had to race bicycles, that's just. I mean, that's the competitive nature that we have. But it's a long ways from 338 to 340. But with that being said, funny cars have already been 339 with the headers laid back and all the stuff, right. and 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 they changed that because they were outrunning us. Right. I think that happened at Brainerd a couple of years ago. So um, 
it's definitely something a, a speed that is a, obtainable. Whether we need to do it on a regular basis, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I haven't been keeping up a whole lot with the funny cars and, and actually what's going on there. But I do know that if anybody's going to do it, it's probably going to be Grubby uh, and Brittany's car. I mean, that thing is is unbelievably quick and fast right now. And, he, and you know, it didn't just happen overnight. Grubby's been running hard like that since he was with Milliken. And, and they went 62 or whatever it was with Milliken's car. And they've run it again with Brittany's car. And it just what he's doing is refining the process. He's getting better at, at harnessing that power and making it go when he needs it to. And that's why they've been so competitive this year. Um, but 340 in a thousand foot, people don't, you, you know, you still have occasionally the diehard fan that wants quarter mile race and, and, and this stuff we hear sucks. It. Well, we would be over 345 in, in a quarter mile. You know, 345, maybe 350. I don't know. That's 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 so far beyond what we're doing now. You, we can never go back to that unless they cut dramatically train. Yeah, it right. will take sweeping changes. I've tried to it, have that conversation because you're right. And we we argue about it here a little bit on the show that just I do recognize and appreciate that perspective of the 1320, a quarter mile. That is drag racing's yardstick. That's the you know, whether it's your, whether you've, you grew up a drag racing fan or you just got into it when you're watching Vin Diesel talking about living life 10 seconds at a time, right. or a quarter mile or whatever in Fast and the Furious, that is the number. But people get, it's not so much about uh, part, how are you going to stop this son of a gun? You know, well, and that's, you know, I think people kind of fail to realize most of these tracks built in the 60s, they're landlocked. They've got a neighborhood popping up across the way that we can't just add 400 feet. No. And, and you look back, the record in a quarter mile was 337. They've already outrun that. They've already yeah. beat, we've already beat that. So we did, we, we made the decision to go to a thousand foot to give us 320 feet more stopping distance. Yes, sir. You can't add 10 miles an hour to us and take away 320 feet and expect us to stop anywhere we go. Cause no. some of these places, they're newer facilities. It's hard to stop. I explain this to a lot of people uh, because a, a non-drag racing fan asks you, are those the long skinny ones with the little tires and the parachutes? Yes. Well, do you not have brakes? Yes, we have brakes and parachutes. And the reason is because you can't stop without them. If you do, you just did everything right. Yeah. And, I push the parachutes. I push the button to deploy the parachutes, whether it's the button on the steering wheel or the lever, 200 feet before the finish line. And they will open a hundred foot past. It takes a long time for that process to happen. So if you're late on the shoots at somewhere like Pomona, you may go into the, the Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may be up on that golf course on the tee box, <laughs> you know? And so, Everything has to like everything has to go right even now to get them shut down. And people don't really when you're not sitting in it, you don't understand that. Richard Freeman is one of my buddies and he comes over and he looks at these cars or he looks at us warming up. And, he, and you know him really well. So there's a lot more colorful language involved. But he goes, you're stupid. These <laughs> things are stupid um, because 
when you put 11,000 horsepower on a car that weighs 2,300 pounds, I mean, that's the ultimate rocket. Literally. I mean, it's amazing, to be honest, as much hell and, uh, you know, hard time as we were given for like, well, there was only 15 cars or there was only 20. Thank God there's not too many more of them. You know what I mean? Because I just don't know that they would be in the hands of people that need them, you know, because this is a dangerous, dangerous deal. And I, it is no surprise to me at all that there is a limited number of top fuel dragsters on the planet Earth. Yeah. And, you know, there was a time when there was 23 yeah. cars at an event pretty consistently. I think I, I just did a, a media thing with NHRA talking about the, the U.S. Nationals, and there's 23 or 24 cars entered there. So um, we do need that. We do need some more cars. I think it would, would help our fan base and help, you know, promote our sport. But it's so crazy expensive. There's so much logistically that you have to do to have that. Um, and, and they're just, I mean, there's not a lot of people as stupid as, as all of us that want to climb in that. And sitting here watching this, there's tons of people that go, oh, yeah, I would drive one. But then when you get in it, you're like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I clearly remember St. Louis, 2006, coming off of the year before I won the championship in alcohol dragster. I go there to get my license on Monday after the race. The first two passes, I step on the gas. It goes 300 foot. Who, whose car time. did you license in? Was uh, it J.R. Todd's car? Okay. Okay. And and um, so this was a full race trim, ready to go top fuel car that had been winning races. And so step on the gas. It goes out there to 300 foot, smokes the tires. And and in my mind, I've built this thing up to be a monster. Right. Well, that the, those two runs gave me the little bit of latitude that I needed to realize, okay, it's not going to just kill me right now. It may take a little bit, but not yet. So I step on the gas the third time. It goes all the way to the end. And at this time, um, I, I, I went a 470 or something in quarter mile at 310 or 313. And I remember thinking from 300 foot to the finish line, oh, shit. But it took that far for oh shit to come out because it was like a strain. And then I'm shutting the car down and I'm and I'm like my my heart's pounding and I'm and I'm like, I have literally let my alligator mouth overload my hummingbird butt <laughs> because this is terrifying and I don't know if I want to get back in. And I had just gotten out of a five second 280 mile an hour right. car. The the transition from that to the fuel car blew my mind. And then it, it, you know, five minutes goes by and I'm like, okay, yeah, we got to yeah, do, do it again. But, uh, just, just to hop into one of those things and like face the beast. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I was thinking about this and I, I get often I'm staring at watching the race in there on the starting line. And it was, uh, you and Brittany, cause that was one of the things, the fact you beat every champion since 2013 this weekend, <laughs> everybody who's with Antron, Brittany, Tony and yourself, that's everybody who's won a championship since 2013, right? So that's no, that's a tough road to hoe, right? But I was watching you guys in the first round and I just thought to myself, God, it's got to take some balls just to hit the throttle in the water. 
You know what I mean? Because, you know, I step back. Like, I, I look at all these people piling around, and Nitro makes me very nervous. Like, we've been in the media business for 16 years. I've been around drag racing my entire life, and I've just seen a lot go wrong. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, in places you wouldn't expect it, right? I think a lot of the casual fans go, oh, the bad stuff all happens down there by the scoreboards, mole man. There's been plenty of bad stuff happen right behind that water, right? Or right there on the starting line. So I always kind of take a, about a dozen steps back um, just out of appreciation for how horrific this stuff it really is. People don't understand. But anyways, is it, I mean, is are you at a point now after all this went in that it's just, you're kind of desensitized to what's going on in there? Because it does seem like it would take some significant intestinal fortitude just to hit that inch throw gas, you know, the throttle. Well, it honestly, I feel that I'm in the safest place possible Lord. until you start going down the track. Because when that thing blows up, I have a titanium shield behind me, covering up my head, covering up everything, fireproof, fireproof clothes. And you guys, everybody around, is not covered from the shrapnel that may come off of it when it explodes because everything can go absolutely correct. But when you throw nitromethane in the mix, it kind of negates all of, all of that. Um, I am at a point in my career where I kind of mentioned this in my interview uh, Sunday after the race. I, I've always been a Tony Schumacher fan for his driving ability and the ability to rise to the occasion when he has to. And early in my career, I questioned, how can he be 100 on the tree first round and 40 on the tree in the final and, and just get it done? And not saying I, I'm at that level, but I, I've found myself in the same situation where you may go up there first round and you have a car that you're confident that you, you, you if everything goes good and you do your job, don't screw up and be 90 on the tree. And then the next round you got somebody like Justin or Brittany or Antron or Tony that you got to bring your a game and you go 50. So it's, it's where you become comfortable in your situation, in your ability, in your car, in your team, and you do what you have to do at that time. And, and, you know, Tony has been in, in almost every situation he's wrecked. He's blown up. He's flipped over. He's won championships. He's won shootouts. And the only thing that can make you be that way is being in those situations. And one of the biggest benefits that happened to me was losing the championship in 17 and going through that, going through the emotion of leading all season, wrecking at Dallas, having to get mentally back in the game and, and then losing the championship on the final day of the, of the, of the season, because Ultimately, I didn't get my head back in the game. I didn't fulfill my obligation to go up there and be on the tree and do my job to the best of my ability because I dropped the ball on those guys because we could have still won that championship had I not lost on a whole shot that round. And so going through that, going through the following season in 2018 and, and just building and developing that mental fortitude to handle whatever's thrown at you, whatever the situation is, you're going to have to buck up and do it and, and, and be on your A game because that wins counting on you, that crew chief, those guys, that team, everybody is counting on you because they put on all the work 
throughout the week and throughout that day to give you the opportunity to win the race for them. What do you think I've got? I mean, I've been like writing notes down because you're doing too good. I'm going to have to quit. Uh, but I've got, I've got a handful of things. If you if you'll play along, I'm just curious. What was tell us a, a, a bullshit with us a little bit. When was the moment? When was the worst or the toughest situation you think you've ever found yourself in as a driver where you knew I'm going to have to be the one that that escalates here? You talk about Tony and guys like that that are able to just get better, get better, get better, be be the better one when they have to be the better one. What was the when were you in in your feels in your head the most as a driver? Um, the single run, a single round. The defining moment for me would be seventeen. Uh, I think probably second round or maybe third round against Richie Crampton at the finals, having to win the race or having to win that round and keep going and not doing it, dropping the ball. Um, whether you want to admit it or not, when you wreck one of these things, when you've made hundreds, if not a thousand laps in one of these and nothing goes wrong, it's all good. Right. But when something goes wrong, when that wreck happens, you're not scared because that's what we do. We willingly subject ourselves into that. But it's kind of like grabbing that electric fence when you're a kid. You know, that thing pulses. So you may grab it one time and it doesn't. But the first time it knocks the shit out of you, the next time you go to grab it, you're like, damn, that hurt. And you have apprehension. And you can't have that when you're up there trying to go 45 on the tree and win by 2000 because your cars are that even. You got to be 100 percent committed with no reservation about it and go do your job. And when you hit the wall going 320 and break the car in half or 327 and the car breaks in half and you really you felt the tire go down and then you don't remember hitting the wall, but you remember going at another wall with no steering wheel. You're like, shit, that hurt. And I don't want to do that again. Um, and, and it's not that you're scared. It just runs through right. your head a little bit. Because now so, you know. Yeah, now you know. Now that fence shocked you and you're like, man, that sucked. I don't want that happen again. So um, that, was the, that was the moment. And that's when you either say, hey, I'm going to get my shit together and get back in this. Or you just crawl in your little hole and go hide. That might be your Texas showing. Yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because, I mean, it's funny because I think, you know, having lived here for three years, it's funny you beat people and it, it really is a unique place. But you, you bump into people from down here and I'm fairly certain they could get their ass whipped in a bar and walk right back in to just give it another go. You know what? You know what I mean? Just by God, I'm not. This is what we do. And I'm going to go back in there and try her again. And it's it's cool to hear you talk about it. Um, and I'm curious that 2017 moment you talk about losing the championship. And I, I always enjoy opportunities to get drivers and get uh, star level racers talking about other racers. Do you think that's a little bit of what we're seeing in that elite motor, that Erica Enders camp coming so close? Cause you can see that they're racing this year in that pro stock category with a chip on their shoulders. They're yeah. going out there to, to stomp on people's throats. And I think like you said, losing the championship at the last race of the year in this moment where they looked like they had it in the bag all year long or looked like they could at least get it done and then having it snatched away from them at the last moment, you can see that there's an entirely different attitude starting with Erica. You know, you can see that she's racing with a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. Do you think that that's, she's kind of experiencing what you experienced in 17? A hundred percent. I've known Erica since we were 15 years old. We grew up, oh, right. even before that, we grew up racing together. We raced super comp, super gas. Oh, we, we've, we've done it all together. And so I know her very well. 
And at the end of the day, you just get tired of listening to people's shit first and foremost. Uh, everybody has an opinion and, 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 you know, everybody has something to say and social media gives everybody some kind of voice and they, they want to be heard. But, you know, people talk crap about her. People are her fans, same as, as, as me. But when, when, you know, when you're a four time champion, you did something right. You didn't just slip on a banana peel and get lucky and, and win a championship. Maybe one time, not two, not three, not four. And, and she is one of the greatest pro stock drivers there's ever been. She goes out and dominates. She wins on whole shot. She kicks ass. And so to go through that season, to have such a dominant performance and not get it done, just motivates you even more. And then all the trash talk that all the other people are saying, instead of letting that affect you, you let that motivate you. I, I, I call them tears. And, and I say that top fuel car, that Capco top fuel car is fueled by all the little people that get pissed off and cry and we get all their tears because the hater tears is what motivates me. And, uh, you know, I'm not a different person. I just have learned to keep my mouth shut a little bit better because people will people will form an opinion of you or, or say this or say that. And she's the same way. She's probably a little more tactful in the way she says it than I am and less abrasive, but uh, she's not there to have a good time and just go race for fun. She's there to kick your ass, put your teeth down your throat and win and have a good time doing it and smile the whole way. And that's what we're all about. I, I absolutely love it. And it, it has been an interesting thing because you can see when racers have that, when the tide shifts or whatever, and there is a moment where their, their attitude and their kind of approach changes. They're not so happy go lucky. They're not just happy to be here. They're not just satisfied qualifying, you know, cause there are plenty of people. And, you know, I think about Krista Baldwin, you know, I was so happy for her this past weekend to run like they did. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you know what it's like to be in that situation where making a good run is a victory. Dale Creasy, they go with 397 and funny car or something. And you thought those guys Cure the cancer. World. You know, I yeah. mean, you literally did. They changed everything. And it was cool. And you recognize that and you appreciate it. But you do get to a level where, hey, a career best isn't going to make my day. Uh, um, a good run in bad conditions is not going to make my season. Uh, we're here to win them all. You know, so I appreciate that perspective. Last thing, and we'll let you go. Just a longtime supporter. Uh, I know you're it's been cool to see Redline. Redline Oil is a big supporter of ours. And I would just love, the, I know that you have a great relationship with those guys. They've rallied around you. You have, being, a, being that you are a self-funded team, it's still got to feel good when you have companies like that, that that are dying to support you and want to be associated with you. Redline Oil and, and, and Torrance Racing have been together since 2011 when we started together. And at that point, it was, it was cheaper for me to buy Redline than get free oil from anyone because of the, the, just the superior product that they have. We believe in Redline oil. We've used Redline oil. We've won championships with Redline oil. And there's been plenty of opportunities to use other brands of oil. But that's where we stay and that's where we've stuck. And they have held that loyalty to us as well. And as our relationship and partnership has grown and become more involved, uh, those guys have stood behind us. And so I believe in that product. I know that it's the best. Mark Beatty is, is, is my biggest fan. He texts me. He wishes me happy birthday. He goes to bat for us. Anytime 
and always that I've ever needed him. I mean, he's just in our corner and team Redline oil is, is I, I, I'm a, I would almost think they've won as many or more world championships than anybody. I can't argue with that at all, man. And it's cool to be part of that club, you know, because they, we take great pride in it. You know what I mean? Wearing their colors and flying their flags as a brand that's been around for so long, the seventies. Uh, and it's cool to see them supporting the people that our sport needs supported. Steve, thank you so much for the time. Your candor. You're probably one of my favorite people to have on here. I look forward to seeing you soon. I'll see you at the U S nationals. Maybe we can break bread, go for a cocktail or something. You be careful. Enjoy your week off and uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Congrats. Thank, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys in the Indy. Sounds like a plan, buddy. Well, guys, while we have a second, let's go ahead and remind everybody that the West Buck Show, each and every episode, is brought to you by way of our friends at Stroud Safety. Stroud Safety is known for their top quality racing safety equipment, from drag chutes and seat belts to fire suits, gloves and blankets, all 100% made in America. Log on to StroudSafety.com and make sure you tell them we sent you. Mike T., um, what, what an interview this Steve. Tor- I mean, I can't say it enough. Am I wrong? Man, I mean, he's really he was bringing camera. it. He was bringing it today. And yep. I think we've seen Steve sort of grow into this role. And I think through the championships and, you know, you have to when you're winning four championships, you have to be able to conduct a media session and give a good interview and everything. And to see him, he kind of was a little bit pulled back early in the season when they were struggling and, you know, got on the defensive a little bit even. But now you could just see I could see it today. Like he might float up out of that chair because the weight's <laughs> been lifted off of him by winning this race. And he thinks or knows that they have a hot rod going into Indy and into the countdown. And this is exactly what we thought we might see as the season goes on. And as we get close to he's fitting to remind everybody set if he season. didn't, yeah. you know, if he didn't. Uh, obviously, I mean, he had some things go his way. I think that that final round obviously was a toss up. I think both those cars were capable of making a good run. Um, ends up being a, a little bit of a tire smoke a thon, but the uh, Schumacher deal that was a great segment there, too, talking about comparing and contrasting himself to Tony Schumacher. But they are kind of in the same uh, tier now, I guess you could say. I think as far so, as, yeah. Sure. And and he's he's five and zero oh against Tony this year. I got to tell I, you, man, that's a big my uh, and and we've got to we've got to roll on. But I, I got to tell this story briefly. Briefly, the 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 coolest thing, perhaps the coolest thing I saw happen was not cool for the people that were involved in it. It was when Tony Schumacher and that uh, uh, Maynard family racing team couldn't get that hot rod to fire up in the pits. Um, I believe it was before the semifinals. They couldn't get the car to crank. I was actually there in uh, Don Schumacher's hospitality area watching this all unfold. Phil Schuler, Todd Okahara, the whole team is over there. Um, I'm drawing blank on his last name, Chuck. Um, the, the whole group is over there scrambling around, um, and they can't get this thing to fire, right? I mean, they, uh, they put a motor in it, I believe, kicked the bones out of one, put a motor in it. It's some sort of ignition problem. They couldn't ever get it cranked on nitro. They they kept trying. They tried different starters. They were tracing wires, and they went ahead and bolted Tony in that bad boy, suited him up, helmet, I mean, ready to race, and rolled him out of the pits directly into the water box. And I remember thinking to myself, can you imagine the amount of confidence that would be required, the, the amount of self-belief that would be required specifically by, by Phil Schuler, Todd Okahara, and the people that were working on that thing to be willing to go up there because I heard Phil say, it'll start. That's what he said. He said, let's go. It'll start. <laughs> and I just like thought, Phil. I mean, I got goosebumps, man. T- can you imagine that? Like That's going up there going, 
It'll start. The confidence it took to and, do that. And for the driver to have the confidence to go like, it was my the team's moment. got me. It, I think it may have and, been and the I, moment. And I have it. to do my job. Steve talked about that. It, it We forget uh, in drag racing. I think most everyone has participated in drag racing that's a fan of it in some way. And what it takes to just to bring yourself when those lights flash to mash that gas on a, on a top fuel dragster, especially like the first time you're ever doing it, what it takes to, to convince yourself that it's okay to do this <laughs> and then to continue to do it over and over for thousands of runs. Like uh, what Steve talked about is, is something we take for granted. I really, I believe that's to be the case. I think that we have, you get desensitized to it. You see people do it over and over and over, but it's in those moments where you see the look on these guys' faces, right? And you know that they're, I mean, it's taken everything that they've got to roll up there and feel confident that they're going to be able to throw that little rocker switch, that little aluminum switch on that, that starter, and it's going to fire. And I just thought, what a moment. I hope those kids walk around with their chest puffed out for the next couple weeks. You know, I mean, I get you're only as good as your last outing here in drag racing, but they've, they've got a little bit of time between now and Indy that I hope that they're proud of being able to, to, to step up and, and make it happen in that moment, even though the whole race didn't go their way. That is a season defining. That's a moment that that team will build upon uh, for, for years and years to come. So, hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's let's do one more script read here before we uh, dive into the next segment of the show. We're running about 12 minutes behind. I apologize to everybody. Let me take a minute to remind you guys that the West Buck Show is brought to you by our friends at Redline Synthetic Oils. Redline has a reputation with racers and hardcore enthusiasts for creating products that perform and protect better than any other on the market, and they've been doing it since 1979. Whether it's your race car, your tow rig, your motorcycle, or your lawnmower, when you think about lubricants, you need to think about Redline. For more information, log on to redlineoil.com. Guys, um, I'm very excited about this one because, honestly, we don't do enough for top alcohol yeah. racing. Um, I think we've we've done – I feel we've done our fair share for top alcohol dragster. I think about shining a light on the, the Julie Natasas and the Megan Myers and the yeah, Rachel well, that's, Myers that's of the world. that's been the story over there is all the it female has been, yeah. uh, domination over there. Right? I mean, and there's Will Smith having success in, in top alcohol racing. And so many of our sports stars – I mean, we were just talking to Steve Torrance, four-time world champion, who – earned it, you know, kind of paid his dues in top alcohol dragster racing. But I look at top alcohol funny car and there's some of the baddest ass racers on the planet earth guys doing it for all the right reasons inside of that community. It, it may be smaller than it used to be, but there is some real deal drag racing going on. And if you want to see a good show, you listen to one of these guys swap feet, rack that thing up six, 7,000 RPM and roll. It's really in the last that place you get bulb. that, you get that, it, that foot swap deal. It's drag racing as men do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really kind of, there's no other way. It's, well, it's drag racing as men do. And, and to your point, Shane, we, we know Shane. Shane's obviously a, uh, Shane Westerfield is obviously well-known in the top alcohol funny car ranks, 30 under 30 member a few years back. But I had never seen him on camera before. I just happened to be watching his, his interview with Joe. Well, he's Costello. kind of a stud. He's got the flat uh, yeah. bill deal. Well-spoken. And, well and I'm spoken. like, you know what, man? This this guy's a great represent representation of uh, top alcohol funny car and doing it at the highest level. So it's it's great to give guys like that a platform. I feel really good about it. So let me roll through this real quick. Um, the kind of year our next guest has had is the type of year that racers dream of. He's been to eight 
events in 2022, uh, has been in the final at every single one of them. He's won three national events in Pomona, Topeka, and Brainerd. He's won three divisional events, Phoenix, Denver, and Topeka. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, as you said, Mike, a member of the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30. Let's give it up for Shane Westerfield, buddy. I mean, and we didn't even talk about anything else he's done. That's just like the last six months. Shane, <laughs> congratulations uh, on what has been an incredible season. We're very happy for you. I know it had to feel good to, to do it again in Brainerd. Take us through your weekend, man. I mean, you, you looked like a world beater and it was a nasty field of cars up there for what we lacked in quantity. Man, we made up for in quali- uh, quality. I think the bump was like a... 60 something that a lot of really fast cars what do you make of top alcohol funny car and some of the performances that we saw this past weekend it's been crazy you know every race you go to like you just said there's not so much of the uh of you know the quantity it's definitely quality every we were trying to figure out the spot of the ladder to be you know for a buy run later on and we were like yeah we'll get an easier first round but you look at it there is no easy first round there is no easy second round anymore and uh where it used to be four or five years ago so you got to be on your a game at all times but we, uh, we had some setbacks to start the weekend out. You know, we heard some parts in Q1 and didn't really find the issue before Q2. So we did a, a high gear shutoff run just to make sure we didn't hurt any parts. And then uh, Q3 just had a real rich and, and pooched up, as they say, and uh, got it down there. And then for first round against Gordon, it was like, game on, let's go. And uh, tuned it up. And he had his tuned up, obviously, and got the win. But it was in a spectacular fashion, as you guys saw. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I was going to ask you, that was one of the things I wanted to touch on. Um, seeing something like that happen in front of you, uh, and, and God, you know, thank uh, the good Lord, Doug uh, Gordon. Uh, his daughters were actually a part of the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30 this year, or excuse me, late last year. Um, I'm so glad that he was able to walk away from what was uh, undoubtedly an extremely uh, scary situation. When you see stuff like that unfold and you kind of think about, we were just talking to Steve Torrance about the severe consequences that exist out here, right? We do get desensitized to it. We do, you know, at times, and I'm not, you know, blaming you or anybody, but you can kind of become numb to that being a possibility, right? Does that, is it hard to climb back in the car and rev that bad boy up uh, when you've seen something like that just happen? Yeah, no, it's tough, you know, and uh, I've been around, you know, drag car racing, obviously the boat racing thing a lot. And unfortunately the boats, you see that as well. It's just, you can't, put it behind you. You just need to do your best and focus and do your job, but in the back of your mind, knowing that it, it can happen and you need to be prepared for it and your family needs to be prepared for it. But we got all the best safety gear you can have. And I was listening to Steve's interview at the end. Like he said, the safest spot is probably inside the car as it is. You know, we got all the right stuff around us and all the right safety equipment. So, but to watch Doug go through what he went through and to walk, walk away. And I had a beer with him 20 minutes later was absolutely incredible what he went through. And couple bruises on the back of his legs and uh, he was good to go and they're back home right now putting a new car together so they can come out and keep competing yeah it's an incredible thing we drag i mean it's a such an incredible group of people because that level of commitment i'm telling you man there are guys that are playing little league or excuse me i think about this there are guys playing co-ed softball that get tagged with a pitch or get you know slide in and bum their leg you know what i mean and they're done playing for the rest of their life by god i put my back out playing softball last week i ain't never playing again right they're playing pickup basketball games at the ymca tear their acl never play again doug gordon piles one of these things up at 250 miles an hour and he's at home a day later building another car this is yep. a unique 
uniquely committed group of people, man. And I'm, uh, I'm very thankful for it. Can you take us through Top Alcohol Funny Car? And I don't admit to, to you know, I don't try to be an expert on this, but it does look like as a class, as an eliminator, it's kind of in a weird place right now. Um, we're seeing it's kind of spread out. There's some options, right? You got the Midwest Drag Racing Series offering a place for these guys to go uh, race eighth mile. NHRA car counts have been a little funky. I mean, what's your kind of take on the state of the union as it uh, relates to top alcohol funny car racing? It just, you know, it's money. It always starts with that, you know, and a lot of what you've seen is guys that teamed up together, take two yeah. cars and put them into one, you know, owners, have when one owner might leave another driver might come in and they're and they're teaming up you know it's kind of what rick and i did a couple years ago and uh, so you're taking you know two cars making one but it's it's coming back and it's trying you know they're gonna you know they're talking about this a fuel thing coming in and um there's converter cars out there now going fast i'm sure as you guys saw and uh it's gonna be interesting you know we did a uh, we had a meeting with ned wallister and a couple of the other guys uh nhra officials and they were talking about what we thought would be better for the class. And one of the things we brought up, you know, like this particular race or race weekend, you could race in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You can race in Epping, New Hampshire, and you could race at uh, uh, Billings, uh, Montana. There's three places you could be in one weekend. It's like there's only so many cars and you're kind of like spreading south thin. So we're trying to do well, me, my, me and a couple other different teams, we're kind of on the same page as doing like what Chromod does. Just have us set for like a 10 to 12 race national event series. And that's what we go to. Less places for us to race, more cars will show up and uh, maybe work on the purse a little bit for us. And I think that'll bring some of it back. But I'll tell you what, if you try to order a new Camaro body right now, from what I was told a few weeks ago, there's like 15 or 16 on back order right now for alcohol funny car body. So someone's buying bodies. Someone's people are coming wow. and ready to come out. So that's Man, it. that's good that's news, design. right? Yeah. And that feels like good news. I mean, anytime I hear things like that, I think one of the best places to take the temperature of our sport is by ringing chassis builders' phones, right? You start calling up some of these guys and you hear about what they've got on order or how many cars they've got in the shop, you can get a real good look at kind of how, how it's doing, specifically certain types of, of classes. So that's some really valuable information. And I love that idea because I think Top Alcohol Funny Car, whether you look at it this past weekend or you look at it in, you know, at some of these smaller venues, it, there there is a significant entertainment value to this. I mean, it the cars, like I said, the way, not all of them, obviously we've got a big influx of converter cars, but it's one of the few places you can still see heads up drag racing with cars equipped with clutches, guys swapping feet, not a lot of electronics on these things, manually shifted. It, it, it's a great it's a great representation. You know, it's a great foot forward. I think uh, if you're introducing someone to the sport of drag racing, Top Alcohol Funny Car is, is a hell of a show. And we are seeing the cars way more consistent than I think we've ever seen them. More complete runs than we've perhaps ever seen. And we, when we do see this influx of converter cars, I'm curious because in ProMod, we saw the inventory of cars grow rapidly on the back of converters because let's be honest, racing with the clutch is not for the faint of heart. Not only is it hard work, physically hard work, it's hard to be successful at, right? I mean, it is, it is very, very difficult. It's kind of a, a ever changing situation, right? And especially if you don't have a massive team, you know, you, you may be making tuning calls. I know you work with Jimmy Rector. Uh, you know, you're making tuning calls based on like projections of clutch wear, right? You know what I mean? So it's, it's a tough, tough thing. Do you think that this converter thing, I don't know how you feel about it, like personally, but 
do you think that this influx of converter driven funny cars could could ultimately help the the class just because it's and I know I don't want to piss anybody off, but it is a little easier just as far not easy. I mean, it's not easy to do. I never it, obviously being successful with it is not easy. I mean, you see guys like Kyle Smith, what they're doing it is different than just the local yokel guy with a funny car and a converter behind it. But do you think that that's something that could help the class? Absolutely. It could totally help. And even the A field thing can help. Are the rest of the guys in the class that know how to swap feet and know how to halfway tune a car with the clutch excited about it? Absolutely not. Cause right. like you were saying, it's, it's a driver's class. You got to rev it up. You got to swap feet. And when you say swap feet, you got to be within a hundred, 200 from one foot to the other foot each time and be consistent. And the front ends up and you got to shift it and get it down there. So it's, a lot of work makes a lot of fun makes it a challenge and you feel really rewarded at the end of the weekend if you could pull it off and, and win a race by doing it that way so by letting the automatics come in yeah you know it'll help the class 100 it'll help the class am i excited no but it's all right if it's good for the class i'm all for it yeah 100 percent. i get it i mean what do you take i was i was looking at the qualifying order i think there were 10 cars there in bradenton um as i mentioned sp- mentioned spread out from like bottom 50s to low 60s um, holy moly, right? I mean, th- this is a not your your dad's top alcohol funny car, right? I mean, is it exciting to see this class escalate like it has? I mean, I know there's obviously a downside to it, expense, right? The the requirement as far as like testing and being prepared, but it is incredible the the performances we've seen uh, here lately, especially this past weekend in Brainerd. I mean, I was watching it going, is this this seems crazy that th- yeah. so many of these cars are so good. Yeah, no, it's, it's taken off the last four or five years, and it's almost like the secrets are almost out now, you know, for <laughs> for guys that used to have the upper hand and uh, would spend more money for more technology, that's it's kind of gone away now. We're all pretty much using the same parts. We're, we've all got, you know, different ways of reading racetracks or getting information from different fuel guys or, or even comp guys or pro style guys, whatever it might be, how the racetrack is, so we're... I don't know if we're smarter. I think it's all just we all have the same information now. So I think that's why we've all kind of gotten tighter as a class as far as the competitiveness. And there's no, like I said earlier, there's no easy draw now. You got to be on your game from Q1 to, to round four every time. Do you feel that from the NHRA as far as like, do you, one of the things that we've heard from like kind of the new regime that has taken over at NHRA, you mentioned Ned Walliser and, you know, Lonnie Grimm and the tech department and Connolly on the track team and in and Cromwell as a, from a leadership perspective, it seems like we're seeing an NHRA that's way more, you know, open to input, willing to change, maybe willing to listen. Are, are you experiencing that? And do you feel like they may be more so now than in the past are appreciating what they have in the top alcohol ranks because I really look at it as that those two categories could potentially be the most important things as far as the long-term future of our sport is concerned because as we've mentioned, so many stars of drag racing have come from top alcohol. I mean, the health and wellness of that particular style of racing, whether it's being able to kind of justify it financially, um, it, that's very important. So do you feel NHRA is kind of opening their eyes maybe a little bit of a stretch, but do you feel like they're maybe appreciating that, uh, the importance of this brand of drag racing more so now than in the past? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it really started in, uh, that I started really paying attention, uh, 21, uh, Norm Grimes and Doug Gordon kind of had like committee going. Norm was the representation for alcohol dragster. I think Doug was for the funny cars and Lots of meetings going on in the back doors of trailers that I saw and with Ned and Lonnie, these guys were all sitting there. And so they were listening, you know, and then they've done Zoom calls with all of us from the East Coast guys, the West Coast guys. And 
So they're talking, they're listening, um, which is the first that I've been, I've been doing this oh, 10, 12 years now, whatever it is. And that's the first that I really had them listen to what the racers have to say, you know, not just what they think is best for the class. And I mean, alcohol was built for a stepping stone into nitro. There's no doubt about it. You know, some of the guys that have obviously been around the blown cars, the alcohol cars, they're, they're there, they're set. That's their peak. That's what they want to be though. They don't want to be racing fuel. And then you look at some of the A fuel guys, that is a definite easy stepping stone into a nitro car. And that's where you see guys like, you know, Schumacher's Colette as they're looking at the A fuel guys. Cause it's, it's the same starting line routine you got to go through. And, you know, the forces went through it and, you know, Proc did it and, you know, Torrance did it, you know, a lot of those guys. So that's part of the reason why I think they want to bring the A fuel funny car in as well. Another stepping stone, or it's an easier transition to go from an A fuel car to a top fuel car than it is from a blown car to a top fuel car, because all your habits are so bad for a blown car to go to a top fuel car. I've driven both the one weekend and I had notes posted up on the dashboard, <laughs> what car I was in, you know, Brake brake lever was the same, but clutch pedal yet it react different, and the fuel shutoff was different on one side compared to the fire bottles were different, the shoots were different, just completely opposite of how it was. And I don't recommend trying to do that. Pat Austin's the only one that can pull that off. He's he's, he's probably <laughs> one of the best. But I well, tried it, it. I was unsuccessful. And it's almost as if I mean I I point it. You know, if you consider pro modified, at least in the NHRA a pro class, which we all know it's it, it's not technically, but if you consider that a professional level, and we're, we're certainly seeing the investment getting to that of a professional level, but I think Top Alcohol Funny Car perhaps breeds the best pro modified drivers. You know what I mean? Just because there's a lot going on, um, you, you're kind of dealing with the claustrophobia of a body being lowered down over you. You're having to kind of beat, obviously you don't have rear suspension and your center steer versus left-hand drive, but as far as a gnarly, gnarly beast, it's a great place. I mean, Stevie Jackson got his top alcohol funny car license. There's been a slew of these guys that kind of went out, went to Frank Holly's, you know, went through that process uh, and ended up being a very, very capable pro mod driver. So I think to your point, man, those two categories just serve a very, very, very valuable, cannot be overstated role in our sports health. Do you have, you mentioned a stepping stone. We've talked to plenty of drivers right here on this show and on the pages of the magazine over the years that are right where they want to be in alcohol racing. I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, do you have aspirations of going fuel racing? Is that something? I mean, if the if the opportunity presented itself, I mean, obviously we know it's a big jump financially. It's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough road to hoe. But is that something that's on your radar, Shane? It's always kind of been there. Yeah. You know, um, I have a lot of friends that run up in the in the fuel ranks, and uh, where I'm at right now, I'm very fortunate. You know, I get to come back here, run the family business with my dad. We put motors together and put boats together, and I get to go to the river on the weekends. And you know, a lot of we race 15, 16 races a year. Where I had a sit down meeting with Don Schumacher in 2013 to drive the Make a Wish car, and uh, he told me he needed me 30 weekends a year and no extracurricular activities. You know, beyond be you know beyond racing for him so first thing i brought up was racing my boat he goes absolutely not i said all right i get you you know you're investing into me and i understand that so it's it's a tough question i think if it was the right opportunity and uh and oh no you know i i'm very happy where i'm at now i'll make that very clear i uh, some changes have happened in our program and you may or may not know jimmy rector's over with bob mcgosh now so I've been tuning the car the last three races and Rick's obviously getting better. And then Jim and Andy Whiteley are now are part of our program. So a lot of, a lot of things are changing real quick and I'm just happy that I'm right in the middle of it all. 
Do you, is it, has it, I mean, I was, uh, I was actually digging through photos and I got all in my field seeing Jimmy, you know, behind your car, you know how he does. It's like my favorite, it's like perhaps the favorite, my favorite pose in all of drag race and doing the Jimmy Rector. And I was actually unaware until your winter circle interview that that had happened. So I can't imagine how much, uh, that had to be a little valid, validating for you to, to put it in the winter circle against Bob, um, who, you know, obviously just uh, teamed up with Jimmy Rector. Was that a, was it a, you've won a lot here in 2022, but it was Brainerd a, a especially sweet. They're all fun, you know, and obviously yeah. going against Jimmy, yeah, that, that made it a little bit more sweet, but Jimmy and I were still good buddies. You know, he called me, one of the first ones to call me right after the race, say congratulations. So, you know, people are like, is it bad blood? Is it not good? Did he leave on bad terms? No, it's all good. It's all good. And, uh, we, who knows? We might race together later on in the future. I mean, for right now, we're we're going our path. He's going his path, and hopefully, we get to meet up in a lot more final rounds. Well, man, it has been uh, it's been great to chat with you, and I appreciate you being so uh, gracious with your time. I'm sorry we were running a little bit behind there. I, I'm assuming you're you're headed to Indy, right? Oh yes, sir. Next stop for you. How many more races? I mean, you talked about 15 or 16. So you're what eight in? I mean, will you guys run eight more races? Or, I mean, what what's the schedule look like for you guys for the rest of the year? Kind of playing it by ear right now. We're okay. going to get through Indy, and uh, we're you got a about serious ready. points lead. Yeah, I mean, it's if we do well the next couple, then we may not have to go to more. But if we, you know, if we screw up, then you got to keep going, obviously. And it's it's kind of down to uh, Belmer, and then if Gordon gets their car back together, and then uh, probably DJ Cox. I think it's kind of between us four right now for who's who's going to hold the big trophy at the end. But Rick's committed, and Jim's committed, and our whole team, we're, we're going for it. We're not going to hold anything back, so we're, we're going to do our best. And I've, I've never won Indy. A couple of the crew guys have. I was in the final last year with Doug. We both ran 49 with a 2, and I was double, 002 red in the final. Your lights, brother. I was looking at this. 018 and E1 in Brainerd. 023, you're unopposed there in in, uh, in the third round, so we're going to throw that one out. You shut it off. Planned early shut off. Um, 030 in the final. Um is that, I mean, that's pretty impressive, buddy. Like, especially swapping feet. You know, that is not something that we really see that frequently. Um, where's that come from? Hunger. You want to do good. You want to do the best you possibly can. But all these guys now, Doug figured out the last couple of years how to cut lights. Bellamer's always cut lights. DJ Cox, all these, they're good. And then you bring in, I call them the button pushers, you know, the automatic cars. They're a guaranteed a 20 or better. So you got to be on your game at all. Guaranteed. Time. It's so funny. Yeah. Now we're, we're name calling them. Oh, we're going to have some people pissed off. I'm going to get some emails today. I can Good. feel it. But uh, now it is interesting. And, and I see it from both sides because I certainly appreciate and I people are real sensitive to uh, it being called easy. And I, it, none, no drag racing is easy. I mean, you can go bracket racing and it's not easy. I mean, this is a brutal sport. Hell, unloading the car is, is too much for most, right? So I don't think you can really call any of it easy, but it, it is interesting how everybody's very sensitive about these things, you know what I mean? But it, it's a fun thing to kind of get people up in arms a little bit, man. But oh, yeah. now we're, we're so happy for your success, Shane. I think you're a great ambassador for the sport. That's why we had you in the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30, man. We're we're genuinely happy for and we we hope we get to do this a, a whole lot more brother i guess right, we'll uh, see you in india in a few days got it man appreciate you guys having me on the show no problem brother stay out of trouble thank we'll you very much Holy moly, man. What a show. I don't, I feel lucky that we get to do this guys. I, I genuinely do. And I want to remind you that the West Buck show is brought to you by flowracing.com. If you're a drag racer or a hardcore racing fan, you got to get on board with flow racing. Flow racing provides 
unlimited access to drag racing's biggest events like Donald Long's Lights Out, No Mercy, and Sweet 16, every stop on the PDRA and NMCA tours, Funny Car Chaos, World Cup Finals, the Streetcar Super Nationals in Las Vegas, and much, much more. The coolest part about this deal is that you can watch it anywhere, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The platform provided by Flow Racing, in my opinion, truly is changing the sport of drag racing for the better. And there is no limit to the good these folks can do. So log on to flowracing.com right now and join the movement. Mike T, we're here at the, you know, we, we've got enough time that I think I can rant and rave a little more and we can oh, talk, gosh. talk shop. A here we little go, little, man. Here Click, we go. Yeah, cut it off. Rabbit holes open. No, man. Well, there's I think a lot of was, stuff we didn't been, get to talk well, about. Well, let's talk about a little bit about these interviews we've had today on here. These have yeah. been fantastic. These these might be two of the best interviews we've had on the show. Period. Um, it's so cool to see both of these guys sort of uh, coming out of their shell. I mean, probably always have been, but really, this is what it's about. And you have to be able to kind of to to do this and and do the media dance to kind of hit that next level. So it's it's been awesome, and uh, I, I'm excited. to You know see. what I think of? I think of it like this, and I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to. Um, you know, obviously we're biased. We're very proud of what we do here. And I, and I genuinely, truly believe that we are doing the Lord's work. Like somebody's got to be talking about drag racing, right? But to Steve Torrance's point about pedaling the cars, most of these guys don't get the opportunity to talk on camera, right? I mean, yeah, the only no, time they yeah. do it is when they win a race, which we all know is few and far between, difficult to do unless you're Shane you know, Westerfield. Um, but also, <laughs> or, or if something bad happens, right? That was honestly... Part of the catalyst for yeah, Drag we're not Illustrated. Seeing, we're not seeing highlights from uh, Top Alcohol Funny Car on NHRA.com or on their social media unless Doug, Doug Gordon is crashes. going straight into the wall at 250. Well, I mean, so it's, it's true, man. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's typical for all the non-nitro classes. It's been going style. on for a long time, and it's really part of the origin story of Drag Illustrated is that you look at this industry and you go, unless you win all the time or wreck fairly frequently, one is really hard to do and one is something that you want to avoid. It's hard <laughs> to get your name out there, right? It's hard to get an opportunity to get good at talking on camera. That's one of the things that I've been so excited about the NHRA introducing these Zoom press conferences. They did one today with a bunch of top fuel drivers they got one tomorrow right they've got one tomorrow with the the, the funny car drivers that are included in the uh, pet boys all-star call out coming up at indy those These are really guys good and gals, they those, are really good they're really good you need those opportunities i mean it's like torrance was saying about pedaling the car you can't get good at it if you don't have to do it sometimes and these guys haven't really had an opportunity and that's one of the things that i'm proud about with this show I mean, it's fun for us to get on here and rant and rave and do what we do, but it's important to give these guys and gals an opportunity to do this and tell their story and let people hear how they sound, right? Hear how they, you know, their storytelling chops get to be shown off a little bit. It's an important tool to just get everybody more and more and more comfortable with this because how many times have we tried to line up a guest for this show? And they get there's instant uh, nerves like, eh. I mean, these are guys that go 300 yeah, miles they'd an rather, hour, right. race cars. They'd rather do yeah. that than, than yeah. multiple uh, times. We've had people say, I don't know, man, I'm not really very good at that. I don't know. And it's like, no, I'm you got to do it. <laughs> right? Well, you, you know, know it's the, the opportunities come along more often now between doing it on your own social media, yep. on a show like this, all the different platforms. But like, you know, how we saw Shane this past weekend on the uh, NHRA TV post-race deal that they kind of do for the sportsman guys in, before the pro final yeah. round, that's a great opportunity to see a lot of the emotion and personality of these guys that aren't going to be able to show that anywhere else. 
I agree, man. And I'm, I'm glad that there are, I was watching uh, Joe Costello's interview with Ricky Smith earlier today on WFO radio. I saw Joe this past weekend in Brainerd and, and, and gave him, I just think he does a great job. He I does, just does. really do. He does. He's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy. He is yep. a great guy, yep. um, but he does a fantastic job. And man, Ricky Smith is one of the guys in our space that can be a little hard to handle in a media setting, right? Um, he can take over the conversation. He can take it. He's good. He's very, as good as he is at drag racing, he's very good at navigating those interviews and, and saying what, he, you know, getting his point across despite your best efforts to steer him a different direction. And Joe did an incredible job. And I look at it and I go, man, I'm genuinely appreciative that these guys have so many places. Like I thought about getting Ricky on here today, you know, but I was glad that he got to tell that story. And there needs to be multiple voices, right? I mean, there we yeah. need there to be multiple people telling For these sure. stories. So now nah, it's a really one interesting last time, thing, man. One last thing about Shane Westerfield. JT, you need to hit him up. His family produces uh, trade show booths and trade show uh, oh, I need to hit him up. Yeah. We need a new booth for PRI. We're trying yeah. to upgrade our booth. So let's well, let's hit, hit him up. Hit him now up. We, now we've had him, him on the show. And I'm going to hit Steve up for one of those yeah. Capco flat bills. There you go. I'll get okay. you one. We'll get one in Indy. We'll go camo. see him in Indy. Team Camo team with camo. the flat bills today, you and yeah. Steve. My I favorite know, right? cam Capco camo is the one that's like blaze orange. The lettering mm -hmm. is blaze yeah. orange, but the hat's camo. I think that that's a You might see that one somewhere soon. You, you may see that one somewhere soon. All right, guys. Well, so, hey, what's uh, let's we, it's 326 in the afternoon. I don't have anything better to do. And my favorite thing to do is talk about drag racing. So let's let's touch on a little bit. I mean, we've got to be the only people in the media space that haven't been talking about the NHRA Pro Mod division and all the 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 <laughs> excitement that took place this past weekend at Brainerd International Raceway. Um, let's let's throw it to the to the audience here. If anybody's got any questions, I know that I've been asking been getting asked a lot to be honest with you guys about um, the NHRA Pro Mod shootout, the last 72 hours or so, it's been one call or text after another d d relating to that particular situation. Well, I mean, here's so the, here's the question probably that people want asked, you know, is okay. let's get your opinion on Ricky oh. Smith dropping out of the shootout. I mean, I, uh, man, you know what? I tell you what, I listen to everything that Ricky has said. Um, and I think that I, he makes a great Point. I mean, I don't, I listened to, and I took notes. I listened to everything Ricky said today on the Joe Costello podcast. Um, and, and I think Ricky Smith makes a lot of good points. Uh, for those that don't know, basically what happened over the weekend is this has been promoted for, for quite a while. Uh, the NHRA Pro Mod group, I can't really say enough about this group of guys. Um, Eric Dillard, um, I'm trying to think of everybody else that's been like really Justin Elks, our, our dear friend there in Mooresville, North Carolina at Modern Racing. There's been a slew of people, Doug Winters, all these guys rallying together to try to get Pro Mod, wow. just yep. kind of protect Pro Modified drag racing, right? Um, and, and keep this deal going specifically within the NHRA. So there's been a lot of effort to raise money this year. And one of those efforts resulted in the first ever NHRA Pro Mod, the D-Wagon NHRA Pro Mod shootout that was scheduled to take place this past weekend at the Lucas Oil Nationals. Are one of our favorite things, right? A race within a race. You know what I mean? I love any opportunity. I love it for the fans. I love it. I grew up as one of the, the kids going to the races with my dad. Um, when we would go to an NHRA national event to watch, you know, we would go on, on Thursday or excuse me, Friday and Saturday because you want to see all the cars, right? 
but it did feel a touch inconsequential, right? You know what I mean? Like you want to see some consequence. You want to see somebody win and somebody lose and qualify doesn't really provide that. So whenever we see these races within a race, whether it's the big bud shootout, the Winston shootout, the no bull, all these various iterations of it, uh, the most recent here being the pet boys, all-star call out for top fuel and funny car. I was thrilled to see the NHRA Pro Mod guys put together this, this shootout with D-Wagon, support from Doug Winter's longtime sponsor, Gary Steinar, the whole group there, uh, put up $25,000 um, and paid back $10,000 to win round money, which is very rarely the case with these shootouts. Most of the time, they're winner-take-all or a winner-and-runner-up type of purse. It was really well done, and it was done primarily, and I don't mean to talk at a turn, but I think it was really trying to encourage participation. The NHRA Pro Mod series has kind of ventured outside of their comfort zone the last few years. We've seen those cars roll through the gates at Bandemir Speedway in Denver, Colorado, the aforementioned Brainerd, Brainerd International Raceway in Minnesota, which is, it's a long haul for a lot of these guys. And the effort that Doug Winters and company put put forth to encourage participation, that's really what it was about. Not only was it a great opportunity for the racers to make some extra, extra money, what have you, it felt like it was primarily done to encourage participation throughout the year and bring people to Brainerd. That's a tough, yeah. that's a tough that's, haul. That's their home area for that for yes. Doug sponsor as well. That's why so it was, it was a very well organized deal. And I think they did a great job of promoting it. They were, you know, we, I worked with Doug, Doug. I mean, this is what can you say about some of these racers that are willing to burn up their time on the phone, ringing my phone, ringing other people in the media's phone, trying to help uh, drum up interest and excitement in the, in this, this event. It's, it's crazy because very few sports have participants that are so willing to carry water like that, right? I mean, they That's don't think true. it's their responsibility. Yep. And, and to be honest, I'm going to make that point momentarily because I don't believe it is. But nonetheless, for those that don't know what's going on, there were 12 cars entered into the D-Wagon shootout. Upon arrival, um, there was actually, you know, I was slightly salty about it initially because I'd spent like two hours working on a promotional graphic um, that had all the uh, scheduled matchups. I mean, Doug Winters versus Ricky Smith and... Sydney Frigo versus whoever and Chris Forn versus whoever and Justin Bond versus whoever and Belushi versus whoever and Stevie. It was a, it was a cool deal. And I, I do. Well, I mean, before I start sharing my opinion, let's just explain what happened. So upon arrival at the race, D wagon, the owner of D wagon decides, Hey, we could make this, we could level up the interest and excitement. There's, there's not 70 people here. There's 12 of us. If you guys are willing to forego the elimination ladder that we have established and do a chip draw, right? Kind of street outlaws, no prep kings, World Series of Pro Mod style, right? Yeah, one of our saying. old World one Door of our Slammer old Nationals. World Door Slammer Nationals. Which those guys were there at World Door Slammer Nationals. Absolutely. And, they had and a I'm, hoping, time. I'm hoping yep. that that was part of the, the, the uh, what's the word? The catalyst for that maybe is mm -hmm. leaning back to how cool that was down in Orlando the last couple of years. But anyways... Um, and he presents an opportunity. Let's draw names out of a hat and see who's who. And if you guys are willing to do that, I'll throw a little bit extra in the kitty. I'll, I'll put 10 grand on top of the, the 25 grand. So a $25,000 shootout goes to $35,000. Really, really cool deal. Well, um, unfortunately, and a, and a D wagon, right? And a D wagon, and which D -wagon for those that don't like know seven, is like a seven grand or something um, like that. A trailer, additional trailer that adds additional seating onto the back of a golf cart, easily towed by a trailer. Nice looking. You can make them color coordinated and match your, your golf cart. Um, so the majority of people, 11 of the 12 racers on the property were excited about this, right? Hey, why not? What the hell? Um, unfortunately, Ricky Smith, and there's, there's layers to this, right? There was a, there was, 
I wasn't there. I was there right after it happened, and I've kind of gotten varying reports on it. And I, I really think it doesn't matter. Um, there was 12 drivers involved in this deal. 11 of them wanted to do it. One didn't. One being Ricky Smith. And he wasn't there. He was, uh, he was out of pocket uh, dealing with personal issues whenever this meeting happened. I don't think this was some sort of organized or planned thing. It was just one of those things, a spur-of-the-moment deal. And the decision was ultimately made to forge forward with the chip draw and Ricky Smith, uh, legendary three-time NHRA Pro Mod World Champion, uh, arguably one of the best to ever do it, stuck to his guns and said, I'm not going to participate. So he withdrew from competition in this deal. And, and it has and been I think that, the talk of town. And that happened because Ricky, I believe, is number two, right? Going into this, he was Something the number like two that. seed. So he, he believed he had earned the right to compete against a lower ladder car in the shootout and that doing a chip draw erased what he had worked for throughout the year. I think that's his, that was his stance. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and, and to be honest, a, a lot of Ricky's points of contention that, on this though, yeah. deal. Hey man, here's, I'll tell you Ricky's perspective on this and this, I literally just listened to this and I wrote it down. Um, he felt, I mean, I'm going to kind of blow through these. He felt there was a dangerous precedent being set that the format of an event could change the day of that's um, i think that's the the biggest issue with it is that it, it was the day of and i think a week two weeks in advance it have been a whole different story i think even ricky probably would have been on board with that but the day he of says thing, he would have been it against got, it uh it got off he said if it would have been done like at least a week prior that he could have perhaps wrapped his head around it um However, I mean, and the other point that he made is any time that there's a split, like you hear all the time about, you know, we've had people try, you know, split at our races. It happens at virtually every big money bracket race. That is something that not everybody involved has to agree on. If you get down to four cars and you're going to split the purse in the semis, everybody has to agree. Not two of the four, not three of the four. It has to be a unanimous decision. That's why it's hard to get that done, but it, it happens more often in the finals because it's down to just two Because you're down to two people, and it's easier, just like anything in life, it's easier to get two people on the same page than it is four, five, six, whatever the case may be. So I, to be honest, and I know there's comments here calling Ricky a crybaby and all this stuff, and I know that he's kind of taken a beating online, but I do appreciate his perspective. I really do. Um, and I, if you I, know Ricky, none of, that, none of this should surprise you at all. Because that's Ricky, he's calculated and he's not going to stand for anything that he feels like is, is working against him. He's, he, he, when he sets out with a combination and a car and a tune up and a schedule to go race, like the man knows exactly, he's, he's got in his head what he thinks he can accomplish that season. And any deviation from that is going to, is going to set him off. Right. I mean, it's uh, it, I wasn't at all surprised to hear that Ricky was yeah. the one that was upset, you know, and, you know, to be honest, I do think the guy he made all those points are valid. Right. Um, they are. But, but you I, also want more money. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you absolutely. Want more money, That's and you want yeah, to put yeah. on a show for the, yeah. for the fans. And there was a meeting and, you know, all but one then, agreed to it. So, I mean, you know, so there's, there's two sides to it. And that's, sure. and that, and that is definitely the, the part anytime we talk about this, where we're looking a gift horse in the mouth and you've got a guy who is one is throwing money at the pro mod class for no other reason than he, he loves it. And he's gotten involved with it through Doug winners and wants to continue doing so. And kind of, this is the response you get or the controversy that you get. But at the same time, Ricky, I think Ricky's goal, like you said, uh, JT, 
his goal is to win a championship. I mean, yeah, we've heard, yeah, right, we've heard now sure. that this, this may be his last year. Um, he said in the interview, this may have been his last race win. I, I kind of yeah, doubt that. I doubt that uh, as well. It, yeah, as we go into the end of the year and get close to the championship, but he's he's on a different uh, path than I think everyone. You know, else here's is where I'll tell you guys. Here's the bottom. I'll, line. I'll bet a hundred dollars he does not retire. Wow. <laughs> That's not. I'm not taking. I don't. That I don't. Back. I don't want to take. I, I, I don't I want to take him retire before. Right. He even said. We have seen. He even retire. said I wanted to win one more race before, before I, I retire again. again. It was like my favorite line of 2022 <laughs> so far. But here's the here's the bottom line on it. And this is, everybody can write this down because it is a fact and it's going to matter in life. Context matters, okay? Context matters. And I can completely support Ricky's perspective on this. I really can. I get it. But context matters. And the context of this particular situation is we've got a category of drag racing that is in dire straits, right? We've got a category of drag racing that is badly in need of participation. We've got a category of drag racing that is badly in need of excited sponsors, willing participants. And so that context matters. In the context of that moment, when you have a sponsor who's willing, anybody who takes that situation lightly has never wrote one of those checks. I've paid out a million dollars, no, roughly $580,000. I paid over a half million dollars. I've written $580,000 worth of it, checks. That's one thing in drag racing that you've done that Ricky's never done. And people don't understand the significance of having to be the one that strokes that check, right? right? I've been the guy at the end of the night that has to pay out money I have, right, to this group of racers. And when you have someone like that that's willing to throw money in the hat, I'm not saying it is lock, stock, and barrel, you do whatever he says, but within reason, you play ball. Because if I'm that guy, I am a mad son of a bitch this week because it, it has kind of worked out but, in but their favor. You? Yeah, are no, you? Because yeah, I mean, look at, all, look at what it, we're it doing right now. It has worked out in his favor. Look at all the ink but got. In that moment, in, in those moments is, are what's hard to get over, right? right? I mean, I've had various moments where in that moment, what happens matters. But when right? cooler heads prevail, at the end, I think it's probably all good. Like you it said, probably because has of the been upshot all from all of this. But I'm saying if had. you go back into that moment, when it's happening, if I'm the sponsor oh, that's having was. to contend with all this, if I'm the sponsor that's having my name drugged through the mud, if I'm the sponsor that's having the, you know, this opened the door. The big issue I have with this is that there was, there was an article printed on Competition Plus that was, in my opinion, a one-sided perspective on it. And I get it. It's happening. Everybody loves to get clicks and draw traffic and whatnot. So I understand the game better than most. But... The difficulty is that when you start calling people's integrity into question, because uh, that was really the underlying message what the, was that this was being done, right? This decision was being made to, in my opinion, you know, or basically what was being said. I mean, and it was being said that there was an effort to manipulate the ladder, that there were cars that didn't want to race each other, that were scheduled to race each other. So the best thing to do was to draw chips out of the hat and make it a, a chance-based deal. And there was, there was some commentary that insinuated that this was manipulation. Those things are very difficult to come back from. And those of us that hold ourselves to, you know, to high moral standards and, and, and pride ourselves on doing the right thing and being good guys, that stuff's hard to swallow. You know what I mean? Um, and so that was my kind of perspective on it, it, it in was, that it moment. It was pretty ironic, too, that Ricky was supposed to run Doug, I believe, in the had first they round, just yeah. done the latter, but they, they ended up racing each other in the finals of the actual race of the the uh the national event 
on there, Sunday. There's a lot of problems because there's layers to this onion, and I think it's worth discussing because, A, and I want to reiterate this because I, I like Ricky Smith, and I know that I think he's – I have argued for the better part of 15 years that he is the greatest door slammer drag racer of all time. It's he's one of my personal racing heroes. Um, he's somebody that I think – the way he's able, his longevity, uh, it's what he's done, various combinations. Uh, it, it's incredible what he's done in the sport of drag racing. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of his, and I truly respect and appreciate his perspective. I do think the context of that situation matters. I, I wonder if the outcome would have been different had you know there been a meeting that that Ricky was included in. I doubt yeah, it. I think that's to where be honest. that might have gone. I doubt south, it. And I, I doubt. Know. You know, we don't know. I doubt yeah. that that would have made a difference. But nonetheless, the real issue in this, you guys hear me talk about this all the time, is who's holding the bag, man? The, the NHRA Pro Mod series, what they're struggling from right now is a lack of leadership. There is no one, had there, had there been a Danny Rowe, someone who was running the deal, who's uh, that, the well-known and established leader of the group, right? He's the leader of the group. He's at all the races. He signs the checks. His name, he's the organizing member of the LLC. He's the man. There was no question during the real ProMod Association's existence where the buck stopped, right? Danny made the decision. And I think that's what the series is really lacking right now is clear-cut leadership. Sure, there are pockets of people that are contributing, but in my opinion, had there been a representative of the ProMod group there, you know, me personally, I would have said if, if my sponsor would have came to me and said, hey, let's shake things up, you know, and do this, I think a, a well-trained leader or a, uh, a good salesman, to be honest, would have said, hey, buddy, I love that idea, but we're going to stir up a bunch of shit. Let's leave it alone and let's do that next year and try to, you know, I think there would have been a way, and I guarantee you some of the people that I've mentioned, Steve Matusik, there's some other guys in the past. What was Matt's name that used to run the ProMod series whenever uh, his last name, Matt uh, Brammer? Do you remember him? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there has back. to be somebody. Yeah, that was in like the early uh, iterations of the ProMod series. There has to be a leader. And I think that that's what the ProMod division needs Almost right a neutral, now the most. a neutral third Absolutely. party. Because a little bit of what you got going on here is the inmates running the asylum. It's That's exactly what it is. And I got to tell you, I, I really don't, the NHRA, you know, I think there may have been an article drop on Comp Plus or somewhere else today. I, I read, I heard it last night, but there are some people, there's, there's, I think the NHRA is getting wrongfully thrown under the bus on this deal because by all accounts, I mean, this is a rental. I think, I think they're hands off on that. They I are hands they off were just on like, that. You guys do whatever. Yeah. I mean, I what do they care? They got affect, bigger fish to fry. Yeah. It's not right? an effect like the rest of the NHRA classes or how they no. do things in the future. No, and, it, and it's, I think that that's a stretch, you know, and I do think that, I mean, I understand that there's some, you know, it, there are guys out here that do it for a living, point to Ricky, Ricky Smith, point at uh, Stevie Jackson. There are professional racers out here, but I also think sometimes we have to stay, take a step back and recognize that, man, we're not splitting atoms. We're not curing cancer. We're drag racing guys. And but, to, but to these guys, man, that's what it's all I get about. It. And you, like I get you said, it. context matters. I think you have to put yourself, if you want to understand Ricky's position, you have to understand... He's, this is life and death to him. Well, it Every, is. I mean, whether it like, is or not, that's how he sees it. He's not. Let's say that he's retiring. He's not going to be back next year. And he's out to win a championship for Ricky Smith this year. He doesn't care if Pro Mod doesn't exist next year if he's retired. Because it's all about right now. So when you get to the point of the career that he's in, where you're at your last year or very close to it, the future health of the sport, especially when you're a cutthroat competitor like Ricky Smith, 
that's secondary. Secondary. He's, he, he's going to win. I mean, that's a great Ricky, perspective. Ricky will yeah. go. Ricky will do whatever it takes and whatever he can within his power to win. And that's a great perspective. And that's what I think. That's probably where this stuff gets lost. And that's why in that moment, I think it would have been worthwhile. But had there been a, I mean, and I obviously I'm not, you know, Doug Winters was doing all that he and, could possibly and, and do. Ricky but he's trying to run a draft race. Well, Ricky is, if you, if you put that same qualification on everybody else, Ricky may be the only one that doesn't return next year. All the rest of these guys, we hope and could assume that they're in the middle or early part of their career. Ricky's the only one in that position where this may be his last year. It's just like the, when you get that many people together and as you know, as a majority have made a decision for all of you and you weren't av- available to make that meeting or whatever, you know, there's a lot of times where, where you, you, you do kind of bite the bullet on not just in racing, but in, in multiple things in your life, you know, I missed it. I didn't get to vote. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, it happens and, all the time. Right. And sometimes you go, okay, okay. Well, everybody went along with it. Do I agree? No, but I'm going to go ahead and go along with everybody else. You know, and, I, and I, I really that, wish you know? that would have been the case. I do think to your point earlier, Mike, that it, it probably worked out. It came out in the <laughs> yeah. wash, right? Because yeah. I don't know that there's no chance that there would have been this much conversation around the D wagon shootout without this. Uh, and this is a great reminder of That's when true. controversy can, you know, can be and a then, difference maker. And, and then you've got Doug going to the finals. Oh. I believe his first ever final. Am I yes. correct? Yeah. At his sponsor's race where they're sponsoring this shootout. And what a story that is. So ProMod really delivered this weekend. I I think so too, man. With 12 cars on the property or whatever, they still managed to put on one hell of a show. I mean, the opening round of competition was fantastic. The racing all weekend was fantastic. And I mean, that final between Doug, I mean, it it was poetry in motion, man. I mean, seeing Doug winners there in the final round against against Ricky Smith was incredible. Uh, Great for Doug. I mean, I think Doug winners may be like an unsung hero of all of Pro Modified. You know what I mean? He... uh, He's a he. He has done a lot for this particular category, and and he's done it in the face of adversity, right? I mean, that's a team that struggled. They've changed, you know, things with the you know change engine builders at one point. I think they changed supercharger uh, manufacturers at one point. Uh, I mean, he's he's worked really hard, and I I think that Doug deserves a lot of credit for raising yep. this money and putting this whole deal together. And, and I was got, really hoping that he'd have got that deal done, man. We've but, got Doug's wife, Erin. Um, uh, sort of giving us some insight here in the comments that Ricky, he was against the chip draw even before the meeting. I think he had heard what the meeting was going to be about. And so it wasn't even, he's actually Chad Hester, his longtime uh, crew guy, crew chief was there representing Ricky at the meeting. So right. he was, he was against it no matter what. Yeah. And so now that we know that, I think that it was rooted in the fact that it was too short a notice. And I, I mean, Hey man, I was yeah, saying that, that, that we have definitely a- was the only issue I think I have with, doing it is if you'd have done it two weeks or, or from the start but this man, is this is a classic would case it really is of the inmates running the asylum i mean there has to be somebody that's the leader there has to be someone that's managing the effort right and and kevin stevenson's actually making a great comment here that lyle barnett was doing his damnedest all week to hype up the and shootout that was, yeah. and that was awesome it, it like, was like, awesome but dude yes. it's problematic nobody wants to hear me say this but it's true it's not the racer's responsibility to promote the race it's not. It, it's their responsibility to race. No, it should be. It's it great works, when they though. do. No, it it's great when they do. But there has to be a circus master. There has to be. There's no Hulk Hogan and no Vince McMahon, or excuse me, no Andre the Giant without Vince McMahon. And that's what that deal. I feel it's unreasonable. We, you, Lyle Barnett and J.R. Gray and everybody that was participating in the promotion of this race. That should be the icing on the cake. That should be. Hey, you've got some guys that are willing participants, right? Look at uh, Donald Long. 
Donald Long in the radio space is a fantastic promoter. He keeps the pot stirred up, and it was great when he had Stevie Jackson, right? When he had Mark Mickey, when he had um, Keith, Barry. Keith Barry, right? He had but these that, willing and that's, and participants. That's when radio racing and Radio versus the World was so popular when these guys were Absolutely. going back and, and you forth see, on the internet all day long, and, and it's it was great. hilarious, man. But Donald was at the center of that. He, he was, was keeping it stirred yeah. up, and I don't think it's a reasonable expectation to say, okay, we don't need that. We don't need the Donald Longs. We just need some racers to post memes on the internet. No. People, the social media has made all of us, a lot of people, very lazy, specifically in the promotional game. People don't promote the way, way you're supposed to promote. Like You don't see people going and doing media tours. You don't see people showing up with posters at gas stations and handing out tickets and going to hospitals and going to auto repair shops and going to auto parts stores and car dealerships, going to it. be a part of our community. You have to go do that stuff. It's not... A meme on Facebook ain't gonna move the needle. It may over the, it may help. It's but that, that can't loop, be the though, tip all of your, the spear. All all your people, you feel like everyone's seeing that, and you get the comments and the feedback. Like everyone that you wanted to reach saw it. That's the perception that I think that social media has given all of us. But you re don't realize how small of an audience you're actually reaching. And you have the only it way to reach all audience, those other yeah. audiences is all these other hardcore promotion, going yeah. out, being a part of the, of, of part we, of the community. We hear, that, we hear that at the magazine, don't we? That uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to promote on social. Just do social. Only. Let me know how that works out for you. Right. Right. And because, on the business page and they're like, no, I put that on my page. Like, what? yeah. <laughs> right. And, like, and what, what's like, even worse is about 90, it, 98 yeah. or 9 percent of businesses do a horrible job with their social media. Right. I mean, so it, it's not even like they're not even doing it well, you know, and I guess I just am frustrated a little bit because if the NHRA has any blame, it's that that they have this group of people. If they have to accept responsibility for anything, in my opinion, it's that they have this incredible group of racers. They have this incredible community of people that are painfully dedicated to the success of this deal, oftentimes at the detriment of their own bank account, their own racing program, right? I mean, they've got racers that are raising money, racers that are organizing sponsorships, racers that are organizing hospitality. And I think that if the Who's responsible for it, in my opinion? I mean, NHRA needs to put someone in place, whether it's a series administrator or work with them, to work with the ProMod group to put someone in place that can be the liaison, that can be the one that organizes these things, that can help promote the series. Because just expecting the racers to do it, because I can tell what happened. You, you can see what happened. Hey, there's probably a group text or a WhatsApp group. Hey, we need to drum up some interest in this thing and we need to make sure. So Lyle Barnett takes it upon himself and J.R. Gray is happy to talk a little shit, you know? So these guys take it upon themselves. I personally think that's an unrealistic expectation to put on your racers. These guys got enough to do. Most of them have a business to run. Then they've got to show up at the track. I mean, we heard, you know, there's just a lot of work, right? And so now not only do I got to spend my own money to come out to the races, spend $3,000 on diesel fuel, driving across the country or whatever. Now, right, I, they want me to promote the race too. Well, I don't even know if my car's going to start. And you're wanting to know if I posted a flyer on social. It's, it, it's, it's a completely unreasonable expectation, and I really feel that it's the root of the problem. I don't think that, you know, this shootout aside, in life, every successful, every life difference-making movement, there has been someone leading the charge. And what's cool is there is an infinite number of examples, but a whole bunch of them right here in drag racing. Drag radio racing never would have been. Would it have gotten popular? Maybe, right? But it never would have been what it is today without Donald Long. He was waving the flag. 
He was sure. the guy leading the charge. He was shouting at the rooftops. No matter whether you love the guy, hate the guy, or somewhere in between, the fact remains there was someone leading the charge. I look at uh, nostalgia funny car racing and kind of like outlaw funny car racing, Chris Graves. The success of the funny car chaos group is due entirely to that man. Of course, he needs participants. He needs track partners, right? But there's someone leading the charge. Keith Haney in the Midwest Drag Racing Series, same situation. There's someone flying that flag. He also has Ellen Eschenbacher. It's a little bit of a two-part team. They are screaming from the mountaintops that their deal's the best. They take care of their racers. I mean, look no further than, I mean, Pro Modified Racing at its height, Pro Mod was never healthier than when you had a couple of guys, Danny Rose, Steve Matusik, and a handful of others waving the flag, right, for uh, uh, Pro Modified Racing. Look at Pro Stock, Richard Freeman, right? Someone screaming and yelling, here's what we need to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Let's take some chances. Let's roll the dice. I mean, look at Christianity. You guys love when I do this. Jesus Christ, Right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, but listen, aff now. affirmative yeah. action, but Martin that Luther is King, the, a good technology, yep. Steve Jobs, right? Uh, Nazism, Adolf Hitler. There's <laughs> always someone driving the uh. bus. And if you don't have that, you've got a real problem. Wally Parks in the yep. NHRA, say, right? Tommy to Franklin and Tyler Crossno with the PDRA, Steve Walcott. Right. Steve Walcott with the NMCA, Kenny Raleigh Nowling Miller, with ADRL. Kenny Can't Nowling in the ADRL. Every successful thing that's happened in the history of drag racing has had one Sam person for, for no prep. Sam Corcus. Yep. They've had one person waving the flag, going crazy. They live and die for it. And that's what NHRA ProMod does not have right now. And you wouldn't have shit like what happened this past weekend. If there was someone in that position, you, we've got a great car. It's real fast, but nobody's driving the thing. And, and somebody's got to step up and put hands at 10 and 2 and say, I'm going to take ownership over this particular pocket of racing, right? And, and, and drive it, decide where we're going, decide how we're going to get Somebody there. that's not racing. It has yes, to because be it's someone. very difficult, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, honestly, I don't mean to talk for Danny Rowe, but I think running the real ProMod organization made him stop racing. He probably wouldn't admit that and he probably wouldn't say that. But I know that it took a lot of the fun out of it. He would go to the races and he couldn't concentrate on cutting the light because he had to get tickets for Jags, right? Or he had to figure out who where the catering is. You know, I mean, he was doing yeah. all these, he had to fight with the NHRA about the rules. He had to, I mean, I watched the man, him and Steve Matusik plan the banquet for two or three, four years in a row, maybe longer than that. I mean, so... It's not a fair expectation to put that onus uh, on the back of drag racers. And, and I understand how it happens and I understand why it happens. And thank God those guys are willing to, to carry the torch and carry water, right? But it's, it's not a successful model. And until that group of people wraps their head around that, it, find me a committee that's had much success and I'll kiss your ass, right? I mean, you want to put something in the ditch, get five, this, six, yeah, ten people designed involved. Designed by committee. You know, you, you can't, you, you will have it in the ditch by daybreak tomorrow. And it's, somebody has to grab, like I said, grab the steering wheel and say, hey, we're going to decide what happens. And, and you wouldn't have situations like this. I'm sorry, I'm about to have a heart attack. I feel like I just got grounded. Sorry. <laughs> we're all in trouble. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that I, I really feel, I mean, I'm very no, I, convicted I in this exactly belief point. And, yeah. and, and I'm so, the, they should be, the NHRA, that whole group, they're so lucky I mean, I talked about it, right, with, um, you know, people like Steve Torrance that are willing to wreck one of these cars, Doug Gordon, right, and have a new one going together the, a couple of days later. This drag racing at times has succeeds only because of the uniquely committed, uniquely passionate people, right, 
uniquely passionate people that exist in the sport of drag racing. This is a unique group of people. As I said, if you have a kid that stubs his toe on the basketball floor, that may be enough to make him never play again, right? I mean, but we've got kids that go out and lose in the first round, miss their prom or whatever to go drag race and getting cussed out by their dad, whatever the case may be, and they can't wait, right, to go do it again next weekend. Our sport is so lucky to have the community that we have, um, but there has to be people that are willing to step up right? And maybe even forego their own racing desires, right? I mean, to be honest with you guys, and I don't talk about this a lot, I want to drag race as bad as I want to take my next breath, right? But I know that that's not what I should do, right? I would love to sell all this stuff and, and go pro mod racing. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? Like that, but you have to, I know that my role and where I'm the most valuable and where I can do the most good is by leading the charge. You know, we have a big bite here because we, we care about the entire sport of drag racing, you know, but it's, we, this is what I feel my life's work is. God put me on the planet earth to spread the gospel of drag racing. You know, this is the great American motorsport. It's what I want to do. It's what I'm passionate about. I do it for free. I do it for money and everywhere in between. Um, but someone has to step up on that side of the fence and say, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the gal that's going to take the ass eatens, ring the phones, organize the troops. I mean, someone has to be willing to do that. It's not always a fun place to be, but until no. that happens, we're never going to get where that particular group of people want to go. So, um, and that's uh, the good, rest of the story. A good show, good complete show. We got some great interviews, and Wes went on a tirade. Sorry. So it's a, we're we're good, man. Yeah, yeah hit all the bases. Yeah, whatever. You know, I stand by it, man. I really do. No, 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 no it's like true. It. I like it's it. true. Yeah. I'm just giving you yeah. a hard time. No, yeah. it's I stand by it. I I feel strongly about it. And I tell you what, I'm not trying to let the cat out of the bag here now, but we're, we're going to do our part um, because I'm tired of waiting to be honest with everybody. You know, I feel like I spent all of 2022 um, hoping that there would be someone do this. Um, so there's news coming soon because I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm not going to be able to sit idly by and allow this to happen. Everybody knows how passionate I am about pro modified drag racing. And, you know, right now, this, there are 172 active pro mod teams in North America. I keep a running list. There's 172 cars that have earned points in pro-modified competition in North America this year. Why pro-modified drag racing is not the most successful, the most talked about thing in all of our sport is beyond me because it should be. Cars that look like cars, right? Universal language of drag racing. It's the only category of drag racing that is massively successful all around the world. They run these cars in Russia. They run these cars in Australia, all across Europe. I mean, Mex I mean this is a very, very strong category of drag racing. It's probably the largest inventory of heads up cars on the planet. And the fact that we're having even that we're even having conversations like this is beyond me because we shouldn't be. We should be a decade, eons further along than we are with this. Um, but when I walk around a drag strip, I looked at Brett Underwood, our uh, uh, vice president of sales and business development here at Drag Illustrated this weekend at the Brainerd, at Brainerd International Raceway. And I said, hey, buddy, if you don't believe we're walking on fertile soil, you're crazy. There is so much. I feel so thankful that drag racing has been around at an organized level for, what, seven decades? And there's still so much to do right? I mean, I know personally, yeah. we've been in business for 16 years. Um, but we, I genuinely feel like we're just getting started. 
You know what I mean? I wake up every day and I feel like a startup because I feel there's so much left to do, right? We're 177 issues strong, right? We've been doing 270 some episodes of this very show. We go to nearly a hundred races a year, but man, I'm telling you, there is so much left to do. We're just scratching the surface and I don't have to look any further than there was a lot of drag racing going on this past weekend, man. There was a donk race at like Martin, Michigan that was packed out with cars. Um, you got no prep Kings selling out tracks everywhere they go in There was a dang, it's almost intimidating number of people in Brainerd this past weekend, man. Um, really, really, really wild times. And, uh, we, we can't sit on our hands as a sport. There's so much to do and, and so much to accomplish. And I just, you know, hey, I do think some people have to step into those leadership roles. We have to scrap some of these committees. We have to scrap a gazillion opinions and just take matters into our own hands. I mean, now is the time. Car culture is alive and well. I mean, the fact that everybody wants to talk about electric vehicles day in and day out, I mean, just tells me that people still care about what they drive. It's still a topic of conversation, man. A lot of people have a personal relationship with their vehicle, whether it's a four-wheel drive truck, whether it's a Harley, whether it's a boat, whether it's a car, whether it's a race car, right? Car culture is strong. Turn on your television. There's car crap. JT, tell me if I'm wrong. Is there not like 700 different automotive programs on television at any given time right now? Yes. I mean, I'm not, this is a bad example. Gas Monkey Garage this and Fast and Loud that and No Prep Game Over or whatever it's I called more, and Street I Outlaws. I more now than, than any time before. And I think a lot of that may be because of the Street Outlaw show. Um, I think that... I think so. Other, other people have seen... Um, well, I guess it could go back to... You know, I think it's reality Monster TV in Garage general. Right? And, yes. and all that, you know, yeah. but, but then... I think Street Outlaws really, uh, really boomed. And I think a lot of these companies are scrambling going, hey, where, where can we get our Street Outlaw? Where can we get absolutely you know, like, hey, obviously how can we replicate interested yeah. in cars? You know, let's, you know, let's have a building show or remember Chip Foose's show. It, absolutely. It was, it was I forgot about yeah. that show. What was that called? Over. Overhauling was that overhauling? That was it. Overhauling. That was a great show. I mean, you I know, mean, it was funny, though. I would see ones. some of those cars. Pretty rough. Yeah, and they were doing live ones at uh, SEMA. Remember? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Car culture is strong, man. And it, I just, I look back and I see these races that don't have sponsors and I see some of these uh, entry lists that aren't full. This is a reality that we're accepting. It, it doesn't have to be this way, but someone's got to pick up the phone. Somebody's got to go shake hands and kiss babies and go promote our sport right? <laughs> Alicia, my wife, let us not forget Pimp My Ride. That was a killer one, right? Yeah, what exhibit? Like that show. Yeah. It was a great yeah. show. It was um, a show. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hip hop head. So uh, I'm yeah. a rap nerd. So I always love getting to see uh, exhibit work on cars. But like, anyway, why does their speaker boxes look so much better than mine? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, because we're like part of board and sheetrock screws and... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, it's uh, but a lot of those builds are real rough. Like when you get, I remember seeing, I was at Hot Rod Power Tour in 2003, and they were making a big deal about it in St. Louis that like some of the cars that were built on overhauling were going to be there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I granted they build these things in like five days or whatever with you know whatever they can get their hands on from sponsors, and I remember like there were some of my buddies that had come to hang out and I was doing the power tour at the time and I roll up on one of these overhauling cars and it's like, there's overspray on the trim and the freaking windows. Don't the door, the door gaps, horrible. The it's fenders like one of our farm trucks. That we yes. Sprayed you know, you dirt, pop the hood and there's like shop. six washers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying to, you're going, okay, they did this quickly. You know, they did this in a hurry, yeah. man. But uh, I think that if I have a kind of closing thoughts, man, I challenge people, dude, we, we have gotten lazy. Social media is an incredible, incredible 
tool, but it's not the only tool. And we have to be reminded that like, yes, put your videos on social. Yes, go live, post stories, post on your Instagram, do all those things, but don't just do that. You have to get out and be a, be a man of the people. You've got to get out on street corners. You've got to get your bullhorn and go running around and, and be a part of this. And it's, and, and it's stir true. up the mat, especially if you don't have, there are, there are exceptions. There's hacks, cable television, you know, that, you know, I'm not saying Sam Corcus from Pilgrim Studios and Street Outlaws and all that. He's not out on street quarters necessary. He's got people to do that for them, for him because of what they've created via television. But if you don't have primetime TV in your hip pocket, you're going to have to do it the old fashioned way. And you're going to have to go to those people. I mean, Kenny Nolling, love him or hate him, no matter what you think about him, that dude put more tickets in the more hands, in more hands than perhaps anybody in the history of drag racing. This yeah. guy, no matter what you think about the dude, he went out and he was a man of the people. He handed out tickets. He posted flyers. He he did the hard work and he got the the results kind of turned out accordingly. You know, that's why he had sellout crowds. That's why he had complete pandemonium in, in St. Louis, complete pandemonium in Houston, complete pandemonium yep. in Texas and complete pandemonium in Rockingham because he went out and he put tickets in people's hands. And when you do that, that's a meaningful transaction. You're inviting someone. Hey, come out to the races this weekend. Here's 50 tickets. Give them to your friends. I mean, now there's been a transaction. This guy feels, oh my God, this dude, I don't know him. He's kind of psychotic. He's yelling and screaming, but he handed me a bunch of tickets and I kind of feel obligated, you know, to put these, to kind of convince some of my friends to go. But you have to, that, that energy and enthusiasm is infectious and you have to go out and it's very difficult. Um, I do my damnedest right here on the show, but it is hard to translate that or, or to communicate that via some of these tools. You can do it. Don't get me wrong. And they contribute. No doubt. You have to, you have to try different things too. Like agreed. You know, Cause I mean, Let's say social media. They're always moving the goalposts. You know? Yes. So how many times do you and I have to go take a seminar or go to some class to figure yeah, out what Facebook changed this or week? Or try something that, oh, well, yeah. why is it why is it only getting so many likes now? And and you know, of course, business page especially, it's it's even worse. You know, so if you have a racing page, it's gonna be even worse because they want your money. They you want know, you to buy for, for them for them to, yeah. you know, for for people to see what you want to say, you know. You have to give them money. I mean, I mean here's, just, here's, and this yeah, is people, and I probably shouldn't share right? this, yeah. but even we at Drag Illustrated, we own an advertising platform, right? We do yeah. over a million dollars a year in advertising, right? But we have to spend money on advertising, right? So Absolutely. it's like, we, I mean, I can tell you right now on the Drag Illustrated Facebook page, if we're not advertising with Facebook, if we're not spending consistent money, we'll grow 150, um, say best case scenario, four or 500 likes per month. We throw a little bit of money their way. We're on track this month to grow 10,000, right? But right. it's a pay-to-play deal. It Our is. likes will go, they'll crest 300,000 next week just because I got a wild hair up my ass to like, you know, you know what? Let, let's throw a little bit of money at Facebook and see how much it impacts our algorithm. You know, and we see it overnight. You know what I mean? The page goes from 100 likes a week or 150 likes a week to 5,000 likes a week. It's insane, you know, it's but it's just... And it's even when you're even when you're trying to uh, you know say something good about your sponsor and you just want to tag them, you know you just oh, killed your you, tagged, you just killed you it. tagged a business we're gonna cut your reach off you know so you have to try other things you know you have to go out and and shake hands and talk to people and you know and not everybody's gonna see what what you posted you know I think that's a big misconception um, agreed you know with people that that aren't real tech savvy is that. Well, I put it on my Facebook page and you see I've it. I've got like, like 3,000 yeah, followers yeah, yeah, and it's no, like, well, unless no, you're spending any money with yeah. them, it's just, I always right. envision it like uh, a guy running the hand throttle on a dyno. 
the more money you give Facebook, the more throttle they're going to give you. That's true. You know what yep. I mean? But they've got that yep. bitch barely idling, right? If you're not spending any money. So if you've got, yep. they say typically it's less than 0. 0.0, like I think it's like less than 1%. So if you've got, it is, you know. It's like 0. 0.04 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 0.04%, let's say, um, of the likes you have on your page. You know what I mean? That, uh, you know, and yeah. we just got to come here. How many likes you pay for right our bots? Algorithm. Not, yeah, you know, you can go buy likes for sure. But I mean, if you're doing it through Facebook, it's all organic. I mean, it's all real people. You know what I mean? Like they have to, I mean, that's part of the reason that Twitter is going to struggle to get this deal done with Elon, uh, uh, Elon uh, Musk because they can't, they don't want to acknowledge how many of these things are bot accounts yeah. and things like that. They don't. So it's very important for these. Facebook is the biggest social media platform on the planet everybody thinks it's like old hat and it's old tech but it's three billion people bro three billion yeah. active users um so it's a very 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 valuable tool man but anyways we could go on a marketing thing right now and i love talking about it but <laughs> it's probably the only thing i like talking about as much as drag racing is is marketing but hey guys thank you all so much for being a part of this i want to run through real quick and just uh remind everybody that please help us spread the gospel of drag racing click like click share click subscribe if you're watching along on youtube not only do we appreciate it you're joining the movement you're part of the cause you're helping us spread the gospel of drag racing and an even bigger shout out to all the companies that support this show uh flow racing stroud safety redline synthetic oils elite high performance holly performance parts sand haulers of america thank you guys for supporting us and uh supporting this platform so we can give racers an opportunity to tell their story so we can share the sights sounds and all the happenings of races around the world we surely appreciate it uh above all these comments these these this engagement and interaction i mean it when i say it it's like oxygen to us i love talking to you guys so if you have a comment you have a question you have somebody that you want us to have on the show tell us shoot us a dm on instagram on facebook on youtube send me an email directly wes at dragillustrated.com you can reach jt the very same way jt at dragillustrated.com mike at dragillustrated.com mike had to bow out early so uh we miss him here in the closing moments of the show going to get his little boy christian uh, off to open house for his first day of school so Thanks, guys. Thanks, T, for all your help, yep. dude. And we'll see you all next Wednesday, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, I can't wait for it, man. Thanks. Later, y'all.